Possibly be how WTF could it be? It's Wickerman WTF weird. Uh, it's an interesting mix and selection of movies that uh, uh, either have or maybe should have a cult audience around them, and they all seem either accidentally on purpose designed to induce a state of man- madness or lunacy or some such nonsense. Returning guest Jason Dubray returns bruised but still surviving from our fight over the best horror movies of the 90s so we'll welcome him back this episode and i'm sure our regular listeners know the score but be prepared for spoilers for the movies being reviewed and for frequent course language from your host and random canadian larry parsons most especially do check out our page at rankinreview.ca and uh, do please send me that feedback at rankinreview at gmail.com R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com So let's get into the weird, let's get into the wild, let's get into the W-T-F. Jason Dubray, welcome back to the podcast. Um, so, I guess we're a little bit ahead of things now. <clears throat> I just wanted to give you the heads up that uh, this coming Wednesday for you, we're in the past now, the new episode of Rankin Review on Sharks. There's an open letter specifically to you read at the end of the episode. Is there? From Lee Beckman. Oh. As a fairly hostile response to some of your selections in your your best of the 90s. I noticed that he was very kind about all of his uh, things he said about my choices. I'm very picky about it. He said to you, I don't know if he's trying to, to suck up, but um, oh, there's been a lot of good feedback on the 90s episodes. Nice. But we're back and we're going to talk about what the fuck movies. It's been a long time since I've done one on this subject, but it's funny, when I first started doing the podcast, I just started playing around like what's a bunch of movies that I could randomly put together on weird themes and one of the first episodes I remember putting together and just shaking my head like this will be a nosebleed if I can talk someone into doing it <laughs> is this this what the fuck and then I really tried to have like a something old something new something borrowed something blue approach here <laughs> like 
there's like the high profile what the fuck movie like the Nicolas Cage infamous remake of The Wicker Man which most you know crazy obnoxious movie connoisseurs or our fans are at least aware of and then I, there's, there's some more sort of out there obscure titles I think Freaked is a, a little bit of an unsung cult item or a potential cult item mm-hmm. we'll talk about it when we get there but I was talking to you before we started recording, but what was the difference between a movie that you would just call mad, or there's mm-hmm. like some sort of weird bent psychology behind it, which I mean, obviously some of these could be accused of, or a movie that's what the fuck, a movie that just makes you go like, I don't know even where they were going for, I can't even, there's no map for this, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I think like that's what I'm going for. It's not strictly horror, although we're going to be talking about some horrific things. Uh, it's just movies that left me with a strangely stunned feeling. Uh, there's, there's sometimes movies that'll do that in a good way. And maybe I'm not necessarily talking about a good way, but they're memorably strange movies. Um, I don't know if it would be long on this list, but I just watched the new Coen Brothers movies, The, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, I, I want to see that. I haven't seen um, that yet. Um, no, I'm not going to spoil anything yeah. for you. But this feeling that I had after... It's a familiar one I have when I watch the Coen Brothers movies. It's just sort of being vaguely stunned by it. Mm-hmm. With the Coen Brothers, usually it's in a good way because mm-hmm. I'm just like, I know I've just been fed a pretty big meal and I have to digest it now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These movies have a similar sort of like gobsmacking aftertaste to them. Like... What? It's like, that's awful, and I wanna, I wanna share it with the world in some way. Or that's so strange that it must be seen. <laughs> it's like that old uh, Ellen DeGeneres stand-up joke. This tastes awful. Try it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, exactly. <laughs> no, seriously, it's gross. Try it. You'll hate it. Try it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, and I, again, I'm not gonna be necessarily like hostile, mean, thumbs down to all of these movies, but. Uh, it's a strange list. It is a strange list. And you, you were kind of warning me. Uh, we'll get to it in the reviews, but there was one movie in there in this that I've always wanted to see. And that's why I picked this. Just the excuse to see this one particular movie. And then I, and then I watched all of, all of the others. And you, you told me not to watch them too close together or else I would, uh, probably lose my mind yeah, i've had toxic responses with things like the real life horrors episode or the torture porn episode oh yeah where like in like three or four days i watched six really heavy really intense movies and it just kind of like yeah it's too much and after an, a point it actually might affect the rank by the time i get to that fifth or sixth movie i'm so like running out i, I i'm almost dead to it I, I i figured that if you watched especially having not seen them before all of these like it, <laughs> In a really condensed fashion, I could see it leaving you a little bit ruptured. Yeah, yeah, and that wasn't really the case. I, I guess it was spread out just because of some, I, you know, I haven't had time lately to to like sit down and watch six movies in a row. Uh, a lot of them I I finished off last weekend, and so uh, when I was freed up a little bit, and I, I was really surprised because I, I was almost prepared based on what you said to hate everything here. <laughs> When we get into it, no, no, there's a couple of these movies I like. Actually, I would you talk about the old thumbs up, thumbs down. I'd give thumbs up to uh, to a couple of them, and I actually found somehow found redeeming qualities in each of these. There was one for sure. I thought I'm not going to find any redeeming qualities Mm -hmm. whatsoever, and and I did, and so. 
Well, let's get into it. Is there anything you want me to just say before I list off the six movies? No, I, I would I, just uh, my usual thing of encouraging people to um, move out of their comfort zones with uh, seeing films that are just not that do not get a, a lot of attention or are, aren't aren't really thought about, and that's the case with I'd say most of these, and some of them people who lived through their releases may have forgotten that they exist. Indeed. And, well, here's what I'm saying: some of these already are cult favorites. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the ones that aren't, I'm going to say this episode is my, my sort of submitting them for consideration yes. for that. Even if I say bad things about them, I think that they're so memorably fucked that in some way they kind of deserve to find an audience. And feel free to disagree with me because that's why you're here. But, yeah. uh, so in the order that I have in my hand, we're going to talk about Chillerama. A uh, deliberately cheesy tribute to deliberately cheesy B-movies. And then we have a MTV production called Freaked from uh, Alex Winter. Um, Then we're going to have from the famous then infamous James Gunn. (laughs) Super. Uh, from John Hughes, a very, very beloved and worshipped filmmaker. Oh, yeah. His... Probably his strangest directing effort, anyway. Weird science. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have a forgotten 1991 action entity starring, at the time, not at all bankable stars Don Johnson and uh, Mickey Rourke, mm-hmm. Harley Davidson, and the Marlboro Man. And uh, I think that we'll finish it off with a discussion of the 2006 Neil LeBoot uh, approach on The Wicker Man. Approach. Starring. Nicholas Cage. Yeah. The Raging Cage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, actually have a proposed episode on Nicholas Cage, all basically inspired by that episode of Community, oh. where, where Abed has the debate, is he a genius or is he a madman? Is he crazy or is he brilliant? I honestly don't know. I don't I, know. I'd love, yeah. <laughs> it seems like something that I've tried to figure that out. <laughs> I have a few theories, but, yeah. It really depends on the day, man. Four no-holds-barred films from four of today's most demented directors. Chillerama is a carnival of gore, guts, and good times. First, it is a biological anomaly the likes of which the medical community has never seen. Quadzilla. Oh, my God. Horror so tasty. It's getting bigger. It's delicious. You can say that again. Then, don't you like boobies? Feel the bite. It's your bite. My ass. Of I was a teenage weirdbag. Even a boy who thinks he's straight yet shaves his balls by night may become a weirdbag. Then, discover how we really won the war. In The Diary of Anne Frankenstein. Frankenstein! Frankenstein! Finally! You kids get out of here! Witness the debauchery. What the sweet scent of Satan's scrub is going on here? Of zombie movie. When there's no more room left in hell, the dead shall the earth. Chillerama. You'll marvel. The madness. <laughs> so, there's a lot that you can say about Chillerama. Uh, to distill it down to a few words, it's not easy. Um, what I will say is that I definitely think that its heart is in the right place. 
I think that it knows what it is and it knows what it's paying tribute to. And it definitely doesn't pull any punches. It's like absolutely unpinning that grenade and mm -hmm. letting that grenade go off. They're not worried about offending anybody. They're not. They're, they're worried about actually leaving a few people unoffended. I think that they would be disappointed to find out. Like if you get through the entirety of, of Chillerama and there's nothing that makes you squeamish, nothing that makes you cringe, nothing that makes you feel any level of regret or oh my god, <laughs> then I really hope you're talking to a therapist on a regular basis. <laughs> My big problem with Chillerama is not where its heart is. In fact, I find this kind of perverse humor almost refreshing in this overly politically correct environment that we live in. Movies like The Meaning of Life or, or The Life of Brian or, or even Team America World Police feel like they couldn't happen anymore in the environment that we're sitting in right now. So the fact that it's completely balls to the walls, in your face offensive, in a way, I have less of a problem with today than maybe I would five or six years ago. <laughs> that, that's not the problem. To me, the number one problem with Chillerama is the running time. Oh, yeah. It's, it's two hours and a little bit. It's, I think it just creeps over the two-hour mark. And I think instead of all of these stories being 22 to 26 minutes long, and you can watch them by themselves on YouTube, is the last time I checked, you can still see these hmm. individual films. Uh, I would have taken the different approach. I would have uh, cut all of those individual stories about in half and uh, just continued the conceit of cutting back to forth with the people in the drive-in mm -hmm. and the film. Constantly interrupt the film. Like, yeah. <laughs> Because I don't have a real problem necessarily <laughs> with uh, the, the tale of a teenage werebear, except for <laughs> that it goes on too long, right? Yeah. I, I, Wadzilla, the story about a guy whose ejaculate turns into a giant uh, carnivorous beast, is in what it is, but it's stretched out too long, <laughs> even at that time. I think that it's kind of fun and diverting, but too much at two hours but if they'd somehow managed to cut this down to like 85 to 90 minutes i might be enthusiastically endorsing this as an over the top like holy shit you guys but there's just too much too much for me i remember about two-thirds of the way through the movie they do this hilarious like segment on uh fecal humor where all of a sudden we're seeing all these like dancing girls with like literally shit mm -hmm. smeared on them mm -hmm. and i'm like uh, i guess they hadn't done that yet they just had another box that they needed to check off mm -hmm. but i didn't laugh and i didn't like appreciate it i didn't i wasn't like <laughs> i was worn out i was worn out mm -hmm. And uh, I think I could have really got off on the over-the-top, you know, sex zombies at the end if, mm -hmm. if, if I wasn't already worn You're out. You're done from the other <laughs> but stuff. Yeah. I was done. So um, I think largely it's kind of a swing and a miss, but it is hypnotizingly perverse and over-the-top. So it's kind of hard to look away from. That's where I start on Chillerama, but uh, I, I'd love to get a, a Dubray approach. Hmm. Well, I... I never really pay much attention to to the running length of a movie. To me, a good movie uh, can never be too long. A bad movie can never be too short. The problem is, I, I'm with you. I, I feel like there's a target audience for this movie. And I feel like the target audience will be satisfied with what they get right. from it. 
Um, so my balance is, okay, was it successful in what it was intending to do? I think it was with the points that you're mentioning. But then I also have to go back to, do I like this film? And I don't. Right. I don't. Uh, but it is ambitious. It's trying to do something that nobody else does. Uh, I think it was a pretty small budget. Um, and so, of course, I admire independent filmmakers trying to do their own thing there. But it, and it does offend. I mean, there's no it, doubt about it. The, the one, uh, the diary of Anne Frankenstein, <laughs> I think. I And I, and almost in some ways, that might be the best of all of these. That as far as personal favorite. As far as the, the films, and I like, you know, what they do to the Nazis. Um yeah, yet there's some stuff in there that's really, really offensive to <laughs> Jewish people as well. So, uh, uh, but for me, it's not the over-the-top offensiveness of the premise in that in the uh, Diary of Anne Frankenstein. Mm. It's a, Adam Green directed it, the guy yeah. who did the Hatchet series and stuff like this. Mm. Um, but I think that um, the Joel David Moore, the actor who's playing Hitler. Mm-hmm. is fucking hysterical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he kills it. As it. They're like, this is the Charlie Chaplin Hitler that we're allowed yes. to laugh at. Like, there's yes. nothing serious about this. And then it's also got the sort of police squad Ed Wood quality, mm-hmm. with, like the very clearly bad sets. And and yes. uh, that is the, what, the story of all of them that holds its length the best. But yeah. still, I think if you cut it in half or just gave us the highlight reel, because in the conceit of the, the setup of the narrative, there's a bunch of people showing up to watch these drive-in movies. It's the last night, the, the-, the theater's closing, and these are super obscure, super offensive movies. Mm-hmm. And while we see these different movies, we get this 22-minute version of each of the movies, we cut back in between to the people, most of them just awful. Oh, terrible people, yeah. <laughs> uh, in the, and that's all deliberate because they're going to kill them all in the end. The... the the mm-hmm. the zombies are gonna pour out of from the movies into the into the real world and, and, and there's and about three three sympathetic characters you you almost feel sympathy for the uh, the drive-in owner but then that it's changes kind of the sweet couple that bring their baby oh, <laughs> yeah that's the, right the yeah. yeah they're all right they're, they seem like decent people but like everybody's like I, I like the concession uh, the girl behind the concession but they just I, we're supposed they to like the guy who runs the theater but I don't know how I don't think that was successful no it, but there there was something sort of set up initially which I can appreciate with movie theaters everywhere closing Saskatoon is yeah. pretty bad for this and driving theaters haven't been a thing here for a long time and it's sad for me to see those places closing and and people do show up in the last week to and like where have you been for the last several years exactly. to keep this going, um, so and fighting a corporation that's trying to knock it down and use it for I don't know I forget what they're doing. I think that instead of cutting after or in between the stories, we should have been constantly going back in there. In fact, yeah, I agree with you. It would have been like a good opportunity to like mystery science theater it too. If yes. people don't like it, or if the obnoxious jocks are, 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 are offended by all the homosexuality and the werebear stuff, yeah, maybe we can hear them. You know, Ooh, yeah, it, right. <laughs> yeah, we go from one car to the other, and yeah. we have that kind of that would be more entertaining. Uh, also, I didn't get the sense that. The people I saw going to this drive-in movie have the attention spans to be able to concentrate on each of these, uh, each of these wonderful stories. So 
And I think that uh, I would have made the world of the drive-in a little bit more real until the third act. Like this yeah. movie opens, this guy's dug up a grave. <laughs> yeah, that that scene was so that he so could bad. have like a vengeance, necrophile, rape. Sex yeah, his thing. girlfriend and yeah. then her ex girlfriend. He gets bit, and then he's like jerking off in the back room of the theater, and he's using the actual butter for the popcorn. Oh. And it's like it's so fucking oh. vile. And I understand from the beginning, of, it's it, part of yeah. the movie's point is to be so fucking vile. But I think it, I would have limited the vileness to as much as possible the stuff on screen yes. until the third act when the sex zombies spill out and it becomes the real world and then mm-hmm. Chillerama becomes like this ridiculous over-the-top pie fight to end the movie. Yeah. And we're all having fun with it. I mean, but again, I guess it's not fair for me to say the movie's bad because I could have made it better. <laughs> um, going like a, a piece at a time. Wadzilla. One, oh, I, one word premise. Not the one that I would have opened with, right? This doesn't start. Well, we already had the necrophilia, the rapes. Then we have a, you know, then we get into this really, really gross story. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. It's there's it's a point, but I I will say, and uh, and this is not really defense of it, but there's something horrifying, and I'm sorry to be so graphic, Jason, because there's no way to avoid it. But the idea of ejaculating just one giant, like, <laughs> it's painful around. too. For the... Well, yeah, and absolutely painful. But I like... mean, the guy doesn't act it well, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but this is the world we're, we're living in, and like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's I mean... a it's a one joke premise with a one joke execution, and a, a, mm-hmm. it overstays its welcome. Then we have the musical surf horror comedy. Tale of a Teenage Werebear, mm. which again is completely solid, and I like this sort of musical theater approach to the premise. Yeah. Um, but it overstays its welcome once again. It's like Greece has gone wrong or something, or well, Greece goes wrong on, a, <laughs> on an epic the, the scale. Greece itself, but this is. Uh, uh, and that's, there were times where I couldn't understand, or I couldn't decide if I was uncomfortable because they wanted me to be uncomfortable, or if I was uncomfortable just because I was uncomfortable, you know? Is it pushing buttons, or is it just rubbing my nose in it, or is that the same thing? I don't know. <laughs> and I could get behind some of this, but I mean, how, how many rape jokes are we at at this point? And this is only the second yeah, movie. Yeah. And again, I should, shouldn't, as you are saying before, I, maybe I shouldn't be... You know, this is the world we're in with uh, this movie, but... Then to the one that we mentioned that we both liked the best, yeah. The Diary of Anne Frankenstein. Um, it nearly saves the movie for me, <laughs> it, it, which is so strange. It, I think because, again, they don't make the humor about... Well, there is Jewish stereotypes, obviously, in the in the design of the monster, but more of it's about making fun of old film technique yeah. and the artifice. And again, that hilarious over-the-top Chaplin approach to Hitler, mm-hmm. where we're allowed to see him as like this ridiculous clown, and his ine- his failure is inevitable because of his like clear incompetence. <laughs> it, like uh, it was, it's not a safe topic, but it was somehow safer to laugh at this. And like I said, you can watch these by themselves on YouTube, and uh, if. If you want to give one of these a try, check out uh, the Diary of Anne Frankenstein. <laughs> to me, it works in the grindhouse world. That yeah. one, and I think what they're trying to do with each of these films is to cover 
the you know the sub genres of of the drive-in theater experience from you know 50s, 50s and onward 60s, where they, these are movies that would be greenlit on the basis of their titles sold mm. and booked before yeah. they've even produced yeah so they would take hot button issues and or, or like topical controversial button pushing things and come up with a concept and a poster and sell that yeah. and then some poor asshole had to go make the movie <laughs> <laughs> right so a lot of them are terrible and like I understand that these shorts have a deliberate cheesiness and badness to them mm -hmm. but I'm not enjoying the badness I'm not like no. I'm not I'm not feeling this it as a satire or even a tribute it's just like another entry into the bad well, well I mean you mentioned uh, Team America mm -hmm. World Police or South Park and it's Wait, I mean, the, the, there's some things where you're like, uh, but there are a lot of laughs, and there, there are more laughs. Than, but it's about something yeah. more than being gleefully offensive. It's about something, and it's funny. Which leads us to the last story, if you can call it uh, that, which is the zombie massacre, where the uh, people finally have all become infected by this weird zombie virus, which makes you not just want to eat somebody, but, but have sex with them and eat them. It's, it's, uh -huh. it's uh, fun for the whole family. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a few sequences in that movie that had some like over the top oh they went there shock value to them that is I guess guiltily amusing to me but again the movie has outstayed its welcome it's another one of these movies that I wish I could take scissors to because I bet you I could cut you down a pretty a pretty digestible 85 minute version of Chillera <laughs> well some of your suggestions <laughs> I I think, you know, th this movie, the movie you're describing that you could turn it into yeah. would be higher on my list. Yeah. Because I could see it would it would cover everything that they were trying to do, but um, would improve the experience. So I don't normally like cutting movies down because I'll, I'll watch four-hour movies. Yeah, I get you. But this one needed to be cut down because I it's do it's bad. It's bad. Um, yeah. There was something else I was going to say, but it fell right out of my head. Um, it's certainly not something you need to really find. This is the kind of movie that doesn't get made anymore, no. won't get made anymore, but some people would say shouldn't get made anymore, and I think I will stop short of that. Yeah, no. There is an audience for this. Absolutely. And again, we would go back to a couple, one, one of the short movies... And the premise of, you know, going to an outdoor movie theater in a car and that experience, which, I mean, I, I'm sure if I'm talking to my high school students, they won't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They may have heard, heard about it. It's days past. Yeah. Which I hope it comes back somehow, but I don't know if it will. There's a percentage of respect I have for it, for just going for it. It, it, it really mm -hmm. is as depraved and crazy as it can think to be. It doesn't pull any punches. And uh, that's not necessarily my cup of tea, but it's going to be an exception to the rule, I think, going forward. Mm -hmm. Movies like this just aren't going to get made for a we, while. We get a lot of very safe PG-13 this is not safe, movies. and the fact that there's nothing not, safe about it. No. Yeah, the fact that it's not safe doesn't make it good necessarily, but it it, it weirdly gives it some points mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Can I get either of you gentlemen a pillow or a blanket? Yes, please. Ah! Is that 
your luggage up there? Yeah. Is that your ugly little troll? Stewie, Gluck! <laughs> Look! I got a rare still from your first season on the Baker's Dozen! Could you sign it for me? Please! Rick, it says here Zygrot 24 dangerous! Why are you lending your name to it, Rick? You used to be good, and now I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So free. Um, I remember reading somewhere, I don't know, I, I do a lot of internet surfing, <laughs> magazine reading on movies, there was like a list of uh, some of the funniest movies you've never heard of, and uh, they included Freaked on it, and uh, it made me smile because I so rarely hear of anyone talk about this movie, let alone like acknowledge its existence. And, you know... It did not stick in the public consciousness. It did not leave any ripples in the water culturally at all. It just it no. just came and it went. Uh, it's an MTV movie, uh, co-written and co-directed by Alex Winter, who was, I guess, quote, hot off of the Bill and Ted movies at the time. <laughs> and he made this movie Freaked, which is about a child star who has grown out of his cute face and who that the movie makes no attempt at any time to make it all likable or charming or appealing or heroic. He's kind of like accidentally funny sometimes, just sort of situationally, but really our main character is kind of a charisma vacuum mm -hmm. in the movie. Yeah. Um, but he sells his soul to, to uh, be a spokesperson for some evil, toxic, or a company who has this toxic chemical which is terrible for the environment and just bad and uh, William Sadler plays the uh, memorably evil business mm -hmm. executive who cackles maniacally and yes. has a, an alter ego who we hear over the phone who's known as the laughing man yes. <laughs> and the laughing man was a stretch for him I think <laughs> so uh, he, he's in somewhere in Europe and he finds this freak show run by Randy Quaid he and his buddy and this uh, you know, feminist environmentalist loudmouth woman who's somehow managed to be tagged along with them get taken in by the evil and insane Randy Quaid and turned into freaks for his freak show and ironically the, the very uh, toxic chemical he was there to pr promote is the thing that has turned him into a beast. Mm -hmm. They must befriend the other freaks, mm -hmm. escape the freak show, and have this story told. Jason, what did you think of Freaked? Well, it also has to be told on daytime television and <laughs> to Brooke uh, Shields. Yeah, to Brooke Shields as the host. Uh, <laughs> uh, I guess it'd be like would not be quite Jerry Springer, maybe more Mo Maury Povich type of. Uh, very uh, uh, very 80s um, good cast actually I mean I think about the people involved with this and you mentioned one I didn't I didn't actually know that's uh, that that was that was involved with it uh, so I again the tar I think there's a target audience and I think it was successful I, I really wrestled with is this gonna be in the middle of my list or is this gonna be the worst one on the list um, I, I feel like in, in some ways it's ambitious, but we just talked about Chillerama. Chillerama had a, has a lot more ambition to it. 
this one, I'm not sure playing safe is quite right because there's some pretty out there things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it somehow I, I, I feel like it as an, as a whole movie it works better. It certainly had a bigger budget to work with. I was less grossed out by it. I mean, some of the ideas are. I actually genuinely enjoy some of the freak designs. There's some creativity in it. Yeah. There is. Um, And I I, I just went went back to a different time. And there are jokes in there that I get (laughs) because of when I grew up. So there's this this voiceover about when he's flying over in the plane about how bad bad the... uh, or no, what do you watch in the plane? Return of the Blue Lagoon. Oh, I and Brooke Shields says, I hear it's awful. Right. You know, and that's very much an inside joke, which when it was released in, in theaters, it, more people would have would have got. I enjoyed some of that. Well, the, later in the in the podcast, we're going to talk about the dangers of setting your movie in the very near future. Mm-hmm. I think what this movie is a cautionary tale is setting your movie right now and being about how hip and now and yeah. cool and right now. Which now, I mean, it, I, I I can show that and maybe the yeah the freaks and all that will be interesting. I, I don't know how many people know who Mr. T is anymore. And Mr. T is in there and he's... Wearing a dress. Wearing a dress. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, again... Here's the thing that I respect about Freaked, okay? It's not about anything except for trying to make you laugh. Like, it's barely about a plot, an A, B, and C. And like That's I'm, true. I'm, I'm like a disciplined story guy. And there's you are. Barely, a, barely a story there. Mm-hmm. But, like, you really don't know what you're going to get scene to scene here. Like you say, Mr. T in a dress. Keanu Reeves is a wolf man. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is a, a sock puppet. Is a sock puppet. Uh, like Rastafarian eyeballs with Uzis. <laughs> that is like the, Which the, looks like something out of Pixar. I mean, it, <laughs> there is yeah. uh, a bizarre, demented imagination mm-hmm. to the script and to the design. And a very laissez faire approach, like I say, to story. The characters are all just zinger machines. There's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this like misogynistic asshole stereotype and this sort yeah. of feminazi humorless stereotype that mm-hmm. get molded into one freak that just hate each other and fight all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are amusing, A, because just the conceit of it is hilarious, and B, because, like I said at the beginning of the review, this is the kind of open commentary we just seem not to be allowed to make anymore. No. All of the best and worst in humanity get squished into one character there, and there's no winners, you know? No. Um, uh, there's, I think, the moment where I realized, well, like, I would say two moments where I realized, okay, this, is, this movie is memorable in a way that I want to I spread the word. Mm-hmm. There's this really obsessive troll problem child-esque uh, looks like Dennis the Menace. Yeah, who who stalks the main character of yeah. the movie. And there's a scene where he falls out of an airplane. And we cut to a wide shot of a huge pile of hay. And then we see the little kid land brutally and roughly on the hard earth right next to it. <laughs> and like... It made me laugh. Or there's this scene where we're getting the origin of all of the freaks. And we see, you know, oh, yeah. one day I wandered to the freak show and he turned me into a worm. And one day I wandered to the freak show and he turned me into a sock puppet. And then he buys a wrench from a store, or a hammer from a store. 
and he turns it into a wrench. <laughs> Just an absurd, like, completely... It goes to the airplane school of... We're just oh, yeah. going to keep throwing the most obvious shit at you. And there'll be so many of them that you, will, you won't be able to resist them all. He just won't. It's also incredibly short. An 80-minute movie. So you're happy with that. Yes. Because that's the length you were looking for with Chillerama. Don't overstay your welcome. If you're mm-hmm. just going to be about the stupid in the style, don't overstay your welcome. Uh-huh. In its own clumsy way. And there are jokes that don't work. And it's not wall-to-wall genius. Like, I don't want to necessarily oversell it. But I laughed out loud several times when I rewatched this. And I'd seen the movie several times from a young age, right? (laughs) And it still had a few that kind of got me. (laughs) And uh, I appreciate that. So, I am a fan, however guilty, of Freaked. I I, I wish... I. Could have laughed more. I, I just... I I didn't. Yeah. I saw what they were trying to do. Um, and it was fine. And I, I, I got a little bit more interested in... like There's a reference to Jake and the Fat Man. And how was that on the air so long? Yeah. And, and uh, how hot Kim Basinger is. And... I, it, so there was something kind of nostalgic about going back. Okay, I know the exact time that this came out and and what was happening. And maybe when I when it first came out, if I watched it, I I might have liked it more. Um, so for me, it was they, they don't make movies like this anymore. I could almost see this being like an you know like the old version of Super Channel. This would come <laughs> up some afternoon. And watch it and go, oh yeah, yeah, that's 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 worth seeing for you know. I think for, it is obviously basically for free, but you know more memorable memorable to us because we're the right age for yeah. it. Again, if you're coming to it with fresh eyes, it just might be strange, but you know, it's the little things. The freaks uh, have this; they need to escape, so they hatch this plan that they they'll knock out the milkman and dress like yeah. the milkman, right? Yes. But they all simultaneously come up with the same plan and somehow all end up dressed up as milkman. And they're spotted by Randy Quarry who <laughs> has this line, so many milkmen on the same route. No wonder they fight, fight so much. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that is awesome. When the uh, That stop- was the payoff to that <laughs> yeah, bit. Because yeah. that, was, that was actually a long bit because it was, it's established... We got there, though, when the sock puppet gets shot and they take the sock off of his head and his bare hand is exposed and we see a little bit of blood coming out of the corner and the hinge of his thumb Mm -hmm. as he he coughs out his dying breath. It's so fucking beautifully goddamn crazy. Yeah. Like, I just... I respect. (laughs) Respect. Is it for everybody? Again, like every movie on this list, no. Not for everybody. There, there are people who would react really violently to it. And it does have this aggressive in-your-face style. Mm-hmm. And there is something like tactilely gross about the slimy grossness point of it. And but it's... The, the all movie appropriate. That, but all it's, appropriate. Yeah, it, it works with, with this type of movie. So you know, if you have trouble with that, then I don't think you would ever go near this movie. I would say but, if you went to high school in the early 90s, mm-hmm. check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think so. And if you haven't, but, you know, you've heard our description of this and it sounds like something you could get behind. Absolutely. <laughs> Perhaps not for the casual viewer. But again, I am submitting this 
for cult status. But, for the right audience on the right day, on the right midnight screening, this is the right movie. If you can find it, it's hard to find. Right. That, yeah. that's, that's one of the problems. I mean, it would be great to get another generation of people seeing this and and they'll look at it in, from a different set of eyes. Like we would look at something that was, you know, kind of 20 years before our time, but had that kind of cult yeah. following. And, and I think it's, I, I think it has has good qualities and it is professionally it's a professionally made film which i <clears throat> which i appreciated um again i i kind of like the independent people who are getting together and doing their own thing but then sometimes it becomes a two hour plus uh movie about uh sperm or something yeah and um and this one's the right length uh randy quaid is absolutely perfect for this role in fact i think that's probably what he's doing right now is he's a <laughs> He's, he's probably turning a bunch of uh, people into freaks and because I haven't seen him for a long time and uh, he's he just spent his life playing so many memorable weirdos that yeah. he turned into a memorable weirdo himself. yeah and it was all just kind of different versions of cousin Eddie but uh, <laughs> not as lovable no r-rated cousin Eddie so again check it out if it sounds like something that you could get behind it's a little personal here. I, I, yeah, have, yeah. I have I have a guilty a guilty love for it. I'm, I'm not going to apologize. But your love for it makes me appreciate it enjoy, and enjoy right. it even more. Yeah. When it was, to me, it was actually one of the more blah <laughs> movies in the list of like really out there. I'm not going to, I wouldn't films. say it's not out there. It's definitely out there. Like the humor in it is very strange at times. It's strange. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yeah. Good enough? Good enough. All it takes to be a superhero is the choice to fight evil. Shut up, crime. Don't steal. Don't deal drugs. Don't molest kids. Brutal assault by the Crimson Bolt continued last night. Are you him? No. That's cool. I could be your kid's sidekick. How do I look? That's inappropriate. Frank is the only thing that will save me. We will take those suckers down. It's good. Let's do this. You just sit here and wait for crime to happen? That's right. <sighs> this is so boring. Yes, I can tell you now is the You're supposed to kill him! I'm just learning. You have to teach me these things. Not about good and evil. This is about she love me more because I am interesting. So in the episode previous to this one, mm-hmm. I reviewed Spike Jones's film Her. Yeah. Um, which would seem a weird thing to talk open with talking about Super, but <laughs> to me, the main character in Her is a as damaged but less psychologically bent. Version mm-hmm. of the Rain Wilson character in Super, this desperately lonely man who has this uh, these childlike drawings. He he draws them himself, but it really does look like the drawing of a like twelve year old kid's first swing at things. Of these, you know, his his best memories, you know, meeting his wife and a time that he directed the cop in the direction <coughs> of a purse snatcher. Yeah. yeah. So he is this really sad sack, lonely guy, and precipitated directly with the love of his life being stolen by a memorably sleazy Kevin Bacon, 
and uh, having her old habits reignited and having drugs and reintroducing her, he hits bottom and either has a psychotic episode or is literally actually touched by the finger of God yeah. <laughs> in a memorable hallucination or whatever the hell that scene is. And he goes through a history where, <laughs> where of these religious events. Yeah. Uh, so he believes that he has to take revenge on the world, and he gets himself an outfit, and he paints a wrench red, and he hides behind dumpsters. And waiting for crime. Waits yeah. for crime to yeah. happen so he can yeah. fight it. Trying to end evil. Yeah. And the humor in the movie is so pitch black it as is. to be like uh, almost the risk of losing its audience at times. Like... I remember my my memory of the first time watching the movie. Uh, other than to spoilers, I actually am a big fan of this movie. This is going to be a big thumbs up review and controversially to some people. Uh, but the, the thing that stuck with me was the sound, the sound effect oh, yeah. of that wrench coming down on people's skulls. <laughs> did this, you see in theater? I, I did not. Oh, I saw okay. it when yeah. it was brand new on okay. video. But... Um, <clears throat> there was something so awful and visceral and terrible in that we we know the character, we feel for the character, we kind of like the character, but we are regularly horrified by the things that he says and does. <laughs> it is a deeply strange movie from the deeply strange mind that is, that is James Gunn. And uh, I think it's kind of hard to shake, kind of unforgettable. It's not hilarious. It's not this laugh-out-loud, engaging, wacky satire of, of superhero movies. It's a dark, dark psychological comedy. And if it's to your taste, you're going to like it. But if it ain't, <laughs> you're going to be uh, slogging through some deep, cold mud. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear what you thought of Super. <clears throat> I, I like things dark, obviously, because <laughs> I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. And this is one of the ones where you were warning me about this list and I'm looking through and I'm, I'm going in like full on critic. I'm going to jump on it, everything. And there's a bit of a and I feel that's it, a, sort of a sub theme of the movies we're looking at. And actually one of them I might argue is less like this. And it's the one I thought would be most like this, but there's a lot of misogyny in these films and Liv Tyler's character. And they try to redeem this at the end a little bit, but she's just basically a possession of two men That's and, crazy. and she's has problems with alcohol and drugs and just this guy comes in and uh, it's, it's like those after school uh, don't say no to drug things from the 80s where somebody holds you down and injects drugs into your system and then and then she's off like living in a strip club with this violent gangster guy. Um, she doesn't seem to have her own agency so much. No, not until, not even really, late, 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 late in the film. So so there, there's hers, there, there's her character, but then there's another female character who steals the whole freaking movie and I was on the I was on the fence and then and then Ellen Page shows up in this thing and and she is as with Rain Wilson's character uh, as damaged and troubled and sad as he is and how misguided he is with his violence 
like she is a full on psycho. Like she, she just, she wants to, she wants to hurt folks. And, and she, there was this, this guy of her mind. And, and I don't know what this says about me as a human being, but there's a sequence when she, she vies to, she's a, she works in a comic store and that's how they first meet. And she kind of discovers, um, the identity of, uh, of of Rain Wilson and that he's this vigilante who's going around hurting people and, and he's viewed as a criminal initially and then people start to realize oh these are actual pedophiles good. and and he's and horrible people that he's pretty good at attacking his victims most of the time yeah. but the dude who buds in line at the the, <laughs> at the, the film you no. don't bud in line and he goes and he <laughs> Splits his skull and 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 his girlfriend or wife's <laughs> skull at the, the end of this sequence, they they are just covered in blood on the side of the of the strip. And I, God help me, I'm laughing at this. But then, hey, but getting back to Ellen Page's character, she, she she's heard that the one guy. What what did he do? He like stole a cell phone or something. He did something oh, yeah. real. Scratched her car. Scra- oh, yeah. No, he... Yeah, her, her her friend's car, I think. It was yeah, her, and I'm her friend's sure, car. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure, sure it was him. Yeah. <laughs> Says it pretty sure after they've gone in and just <laughs> nearly killed the guy. And I, I don't know what, what's wrong with me, but I, I love these characters. That part of the movie is, is so good. And I also like how dark it is that i mean no nobody necessarily escapes because we i think it's going in one direction with that relationship and they suggest a few things but then they take a turn in the third act with with that relationship which is completely different um and i i i'm, I'm rarely surprised but i was surprised what uh, what what sort of the, the payoff or, or whatever is with the ellen page character mm-hmm. But I was reminded again how how good she is, and she's been in some really serious dark movies as well. But this was that kind of Juno energy, but it was foul mouth, hardcore R rated. I was at a weird place with Ellen Page because yeah. I like her and like she's Canadian, so I want to be supportive and yeah. everything like that. And she blew up after Juno. And mm-hmm. Juno's an intensely charming movie, but there's something about her in that movie with her weird dead eyes and her pithy delivery mm-hmm. that I just sort of cemented in my mind. Mm-hmm. That's Ellen Page. And so you, you she coasted come, yeah. pretty easily for a couple of things that I'd seen her in then. Now, since then, I've seen her in a couple things that I've come around. And she but is. this was the one that I was like, holy shit, girl. <laughs> because you're right. It's not just her enthusiasm, but like... Mm-hmm. There is violence in her, and she is going to find a way to do some terrible harm. Now, well, like she, she that... drives a car into a guy, <laughs> cuts him in half, and she's sort of half out of her suit for various reasons. And so she's basically in her bra and and, and part of her, like not really disguised at all as her, uh, you know, superhero sidekick, Bolty, I think was the name. Yes. And, uh, and I, I don't know many, many people that would would do that would yeah. you know would go to that place particularly when she was starting to 
It would you know. not be an easy thing to play and retain likability, right? Yeah. Like she builds actual claws, stabs the hill, kills a guy, continues stabbing him, and then when she's shushed, she giggles as she shushes up. <laughs> there is real, like, joyful, terrifying glee in the violence. And there's also a sexual component. To oh this. yes, yeah. There is. A, there's a lot of uncomfortable scenes in this movie. Actually, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a couple of scenes between like Michael Rooker and Rain Wilson or Kevin Bacon, Rain Wilson, mm-hmm. where they treat him so like such a subhuman mm-hmm. that it actually makes me kind of uncomfortable. Like they they establish themselves as supervillains just on their treatment of this character. <laughs> yes, but uh, yeah. Ellen Page, I guess, rapes question mark Rain Wilson in a scene. I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's kind of uh, yeah. It's he's not into it. He says no. He continues yeah. to say no. Uh, but yeah. She forces the issue. It's kind of hot, but more uncomfortable. She's a child by contrast to him by his eyes. Anyway. Uh, it's weird. And we don't know her backstory and what, what's going on with that. Like, she has an age-appropriate apo- kind of boyfriend early in the movie and then kind of dumps him completely when she discovers... Uh, Once this guy's wearing a costume and beating people up, she is on because she, she but <laughs> But I think it's a little bit of a comment on, like, uber comic book fans who were that world makes more sense than than the world they're living in and she sees an opportunity to you know make her life more exciting by becoming a, a superhero sidekick yeah uh and and i also i don't know i i liked her in this i found her charming there may be some people that watch this and are like, wow. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Parsons, it's time to get to new <laughs> guest need, critics. You, <laughs> you need some help. Need there, some buddy. help here. Like, he, you know. But it's a brave performance. I could see a lot of actresses just reading that script saying, I do what to Rain Wilson now? Yeah. Right? Like, and, uh, this, is, this makes sense. How? But she absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. sells that character. I don't know how she feels about that now. Because she is an activist for uh, for women's rights, for 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 the rights of uh, sexual minorities, and I she claimed to love the script at least in the yeah. little vignette that comes with the movie that's designed to promote the movie. Yeah, so you're not so going to say, well, uh, it was a page. I lost I, a, I lost a bet. <laughs> I think she became friends with Rain Wilson because he's in has that kind of extended cameo in Juno, Juno too. and maybe that's why Juno, he, this was after so. Yeah. And Rain Wilson's one of the producers. Yeah. And may have called her up to see if she would do this. And The violence in the movie is it's, shocking. It, it's and Tarantino-esque. It's... <laughs> and um, there is some grim fates. And it's so strange. The tone of the movie is all over the place. Nathan Fillion. The Holy Redeemer. The Holy Redeemer. Yes. It's based on apparently a real thing. There's this like cable access show, the Bible Man or something, mm-hmm. something like that. He didn't use the actual name of it. Well, he gets sued probably. Right? <laughs> exactly. But uh, he sort of shows up as a, a figure of uh, of good, a symbol mm-hmm. of good in in Rain Wilson's madness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and they and there's a lot of fun in these these awful uh this this tv show or whatever and 
Uh, there's there's a scene where two of like the teenagers who learn a lesson at the end of each of these from the Holy Redeemer are like, um, uh, like S and M gear. Well, we nearly lost our virginities, and, <laughs> and they used the money they made on that Bible show to go buy some crack. <laughs> it was it's so it, absurd. And the weirder thing about good, Nathan Fillion is like that's the second time he's played a weirdo over the top superhero. If mm-hmm. you've ever seen. Uh, that uh, sing-along blog. What was it? Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was Nathan Fillion popular. again plays an over-the-top yeah. ham-head superhero. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, such a strange and welcome addition. Mm-hmm. And I'd known, like, I saw Slither. I love Slither, by mm-hmm. the way, too. But yeah. I knew that the guy who wrote that was a little bit warped. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, the record was never going to come out pure and clean. <laughs> there was going to be a little bit Susan going on. Yeah. Uh, but that's sort of the wild card thing that James mm-hmm. Gunn brings mm-hmm. to it. And that's why I think that Guardians of the Galaxy had a bit of a crazy edge to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the crazy thing about Super is Super seemed like the movie that he would have got to make after he did the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, movies. not like, before. Not before. Like I don't know who greenlights this movie and who's, who reads it, the script and says this is money, baby. It's this Rain. Is- it's Rain Wilson because it was right in the middle of the office and right. he was he was moving into an A list thing, which I don't think he ever got to. Right. Um, and maybe he'll come back with something. I don't know. Well, but he did well in the Meg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so he's still getting work. I mean, he's, but he's. He's, he's not, okay, I'm going to have he's my $500 million dollar film uh, and have him be the anchor. He's not going to open a movie by no. himself. No, yeah. But at the time, he his stock was higher than it is now. And I think he's the reason the movie got made. I think it's almost more dark than funny. And I think that that's going to hurt its audience. For some some audience members. I love it. I, I, I laughed and I laughed. <laughs> I had such a good time. I was like, what? What? But I, I just want to be careful because there are people like my wife. Uh, we'll go to the yeah. spoilers here. We, we sort of talked around it, but it's, uh, they finally have to go rescue the maiden fair, and he finally agrees to let you know his sidekick team up. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I, I just well, before I go into this, the whole sexual <coughs> angle. I also thought it was a meta commentary on the sidekick thing, like in the quote real world. Mm. Robin to Bruce Wayne or yeah. or, or, or uh, short round to Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. It's not really a good reason for them to be hanging out if they're not lovers. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so he didn't want that. He wanted it to be more of a mentor thing. She forced the sexual angle. Yeah. Anyway, they have this complex relationship, but they're a team now. And they go to storm the place, and they do a pretty good job of taking out the first wave yes. of security guards. Yes. And then they're both suddenly shot. Rain Wilson takes it in the vest, and Ellen Page takes it full in the face. Mm-hmm. And she's dead, mm-hmm. and there's no happy ending for her. And it completely... I think that's the moment that breaks the spell for the Rain Wilson character. I think that all of a sudden... Oh, he turns into the... It's real, there's stakes, they've just murdered yeah. this kid, it's his fault, and now he's going to kill these guys or die trying. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it it is a motivating thing. It's not just death for the sake of death. No. But I have to tell you, it is fucking so- shocking. Oh, it's grisly. Yeah. And and like I, I watched it with my wife, and I really felt that moment put her off her food. Like I, she uh-huh. just like it made her not like the movie. <laughs> I can see that. Well, also, but I think it's because it's not 
expected. No. I didn't expect it, and yet I admire the film for doing they for doing that. So much time building up that relationship between the two yeah. of them. And but it's making it not predictable. They're yeah. gonna heal each other. They're gonna help yeah. each other. They're gonna learn from each. No, because it's obvious. Liv Tyler's not really that into him. Live by the gun, but die by the gun. And yeah, I would have really, really re- resented if the movie ended with him winning back Liv Tyler and the marriage being. Okay. Yeah, they they handled that well. The 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 denouement where he says, "I saved her not for me." Mm-hmm. But so that she could later on go get married, have kids, and raise these perfect kids, and they're gonna make a better world. Yeah. And they wouldn't have existed if I didn't do what I did. Yeah, it justifies the psychosis. Mm-hmm. But that's the cool question you can ask yourself. You can tell yourself that it's legit, that God did touch him, mm-hmm. and that God did bring him together with her, and that she was maybe a little bit too mad to live, but she served her purpose to get him to where he needed to be. Or He's just a lunatic. It's like another, it's a variation of Fight Club, where the movie opens mm-hmm. on fucking psycho. <laughs> yeah. And this is how he sees the world, and these are the decisions he makes. But uh, as dark as it is, and as weird as it is, you cannot compare it to anything. It's just, oh, it's, its, own it's thing. not the movie you think it's going to be. And it's, it's so much more interesting than a lot of superhero movies, or, you know, and it's not really a parody of superhero movies. And the characters are consistent. There, there's a scene in there fairly early in the film where he's he's considering buying this cute little bunny rabbit, but he knows he's going to screw that up. Yeah. And it just kind of sits there, and you kind of forget about it a little bit, but there's a payoff to that. There's consistency. The, the Rain Wilson character never swears. Until because, yeah. Yeah. you know, because he is, you know, because of this whole religious, uh, whatever it is, upbringing and... And, and he gets after Ellen Page for swearing as much as she does. It's also too. complimented because he met Liv Tyler in a recovery program. Mm-hmm. She was sort of at her bottom and he helped her pick her up on her feet. Yeah. That was sort of the initial bond that, that developed mm-hmm. between them. And a lot large part of that is sort of a religious angle. Yeah. Be humble. Be grateful. Mm-hmm. Say please and thank you. Don't use bad words. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting movie and I... Yeah, I, I enjoyed it so much, and it was a breath of fresh air compared to some of the other yeah. movies and we're talking this about. Is another one like Freaked that I feel like not enough people saw, and no. another one that I want to submit that it deserves a cult audience. And it's more accessible, I think, than than Freaked. Oh yeah, yeah. I had an easy time finding this. I can. It's not just about making you laugh. Like yeah. Freaked's the the good and bad thing about Freaked is all it was was just a laugh joke factory. Well, it's an, an R rated naked gun type yeah. of thing. You know, this, this is this is more going on. Satirical and different mm-hmm. and original. So. And I love black comedies, and this is as black as it come. And uh, again, I think we're going to see less and less in them as we go forward. Unfortunately, you know, it's not a bad idea. What? Making a girl. Actually, making a girl. This is Wyatt and Gary. I give her Wamdigis mammary glands. Something's about to change their world. Something out of this world. She's alive! Alive! What would you little maniacs like to do first? It's all in the name of science. Weird science. If you want to be a party animal, you have to learn to live in the jungle. Not us. Not here. No way. She is turning their lives. Trust me for once, will you? What is going on? Gary, I don't know. I don't know. Their minds. 
and their house upside down. It's seriously affecting your sex life. <laughs> it's completely unnatural. Do you realize it's snowing in my room? Totally unbelievable. What's going on? And definitely weird. Hi, dudes. They went from zeros to heroes in one fantastic weekend. It's scary how time goes by. 1985 Mm -hmm. was when Weird Science came out. And uh, counterintuitively, although I grew up with, like, savage horror movies and saw, like, things like The Shining and The Exorcist while I was still in the single-digit age category, (laughs) I had a great affection for John Hughes movies. Uh And this had a lot of benefits. A, I think he was a smart, funny screenplay writer, first of all. And B, when I got into my teenage years, I could relate to a lot of teenage girls who were really into... I could say things like, you know, some kind of wonderful is really like Pretty in Pink with the better ending. And get super play out of that. (laughs) Respect. Yes. Right? It's like uh, quoting chapter and verse on uh, Sense and Sensibility or something. Yeah. Just sideswipe a girl with your knowledge. The thing is, is that as much as I love John Hughes and as much as I understand him as being this venerated, respected figure, his time has come and gone. And a lot of his movies have started to show their age. I still think he will have movies that will be timeless. I think Planes, Trains, and Automobiles yes. will always be great. I think that uh, The Breakfast Club, Bumps and All, is going to be a sort of remembered because it's one of the first movies to take teenagers seriously. Yeah. But there is some rough politics in his movie. There is, in his movies, in all of them, there's usually one or two scenes now, mm-hmm. especially if you mm-hmm. go back where you go... That wouldn't fly today. Yeah. <laughs> and none worse, I would argue, than weird science. In all of John Hughes' movies, even though seriously toned one, there would seem to be one moment that would break reality. In The Breakfast Club, Emilio Estevez screams so loudly he shatters a glass door. Yes. In Ferris Bueller's Day Off, all of a sudden the entire city is like singing along to twist and shout with Ferris Bueller. Yeah. <laughs> and it just becomes this ridiculous shit show. Yeah. Uh, in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, <laughs> when they have the near-death experience, John Candy literally turns into a, a, an impish devil form <laughs> for a split second. Yeah. He'll have these moments where mm-hmm. he breaks reality. Yeah. Weird Science is the only movie he made where the whole movie seems to exist in that place. Other than the very, very beginning, like <laughs> the first five to ten minutes. Yeah. But one, as soon as they create the girl, this is basically uh-huh. some horny teenage boys make a Frankenstein's monster uh, out of this supermodel. And um, instead of becoming a monster and destroying the place, she actually goes about the business of making these boys better people. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> I recently reviewed a very charming movie called Robot and Frank about this robot that oh. helps us see now, fellow. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, it, it, you're always putting sinister affectations on, on, on you know, uh, artificial intelligence. It's kind of nice and refreshing to see mm-hmm. this artificial intelligence that's really trying to make these boys grow up and be better, mm-hmm. less shitty people. <laughs> so I think it's hearts in the right place, and I still think the movie is full of funny lines. But there's some really, really cringeworthy stuff in here. 
particularly mm. the trip to the uh, nightclub and the oh, very racist gosh. interaction. Yes. The more you go on there right away. Got, well, I just want to get yeah. it out of the way. The drunker that Michael C. C. Hall gets, or what's his name? Sorry. Oh my God. Anthony Michael Hall. Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah, I get, I, I I get all, those two mixed up I got sometimes. I got garbled too, yeah. on that. Anthony yeah. Michael Hall. The more he has to drink, the more like racist he seems to become. <laughs> but it's some sort of uh, special alcoholic beverage, and I don't know what it is. It the stranger, but the stranger like thing is, uh, all of the the older African American gentlemen in this club seem to accept this uh it seems like he's making fun of them to their face to me really but he's supposed to be turning somehow into being as cool he's as they are in he's there. mimicking them i guess yeah yeah uh, that's a very odd there's a bit, lot of yeah. 80s approach to how women are treated and objectified yeah. and unfortunately one of the climactic lines of the movie is you and your faggot friends need to get out of this house. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, which is I mean, very 80s. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and before. and They are dressed up like the Mad Max guys. In fact, uh, mm -hmm. he said when the Mad Max guys were going to get them. Like the head biker mm -hmm. is literally a guy from the Road Warriors, same actor. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Michael Berryman from The Hills Have Eyes has a memorable line. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Could you maybe not mention this? I'm a teacher. <laughs> this is a really great line. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's funny. There are some John Hughes bits in there that... But this is the movie out of the John Hughes collection that has aged the worst and that emphasizes everything that, as much as I love John Hughes, just don't fly anymore. So, so here's where, where I'm at with this. And so I mentioned each of these movies has have some things which are awful and and then some re redeeming qualities. qualities. And I, I think I know what he was attempting to do initially, but I feel like he failed at it miserably. But I mean, good for him for at least Try trying something, something different. different and bold. like you can't do the same thing, things over and over again. I think that was a little bit and probably more as a screenwriter in the 90s. One of the problems with Hughes towards the end of his career is Home Alone was an enormous success. He didn't direct it. He, no, he, he wrote, wrote it. it. But then he created one movie after another, which was the Home Alone formula. Based so he became a cute little kid. Cute little kid. And there's villains. And and it's really a shame because I think the stuff he was doing in the 80s, uh, and that's not true of everybody. Not everybody was great in the 80s. But the stuff he was doing in the 80s, uh, was amazing and Breakfast Club still works because I sh I show it in in my high school classes and and they love it. Yeah, it, it and like the next generation is Mean Girls, fortunately or unfortunately, those those two are they 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 sort of ring out. Yeah, they still kind of connect to them. It's counterintuitive too because this is coming off of Sixteen Candles, yeah. which was huge. Breakfast Club, which was huger, and like it didn't, yeah. but. People were saying that Breakfast Club might have a shot at like Best Picture. Like there was, there was, because of how seriously he took his subject matter, mm -hmm. to take such a hard left into weird science from there is completely bold and counterintuitive. It is. And then he bounced back immediately with Ferris Bueller's Day yeah. Off too. Yeah. So like, um, I mean, it it didn't hurt his career. No. And for some, there's there's some filmmakers that this movie could have tanked, uh, tanked their careers. Like they wouldn't be given. But at that point, he had enough, uh, you know, in, in the bank or yeah. enough currency in the bank to be able to have a movie like this happen. 
here's my take on what I think he was attempting to do. Okay. Um, and you mentioned her with the previous review of, of Super. I got her a lot more from this. I see. Yeah. I mean, trying to, with 80s technology, create this perfect woman that will uh, meet all of the needs of this rather adolescent, you know, in this case, they were actually adolescents um, with the Joaquin Phoenix and her. I think it's a it's a, a delayed thing, thing, very much arrested development. But he still has that same kind of I, I need a woman that's not going to hurt me. And these boys early on are, are so afraid. They know not, nothing about girls. And then, of course, there's the archetypical villain or um, bullies that show up and pants them and do all that stuff that yeah. you'd expect in an 80s movie. So I think it was him attempting to have a movie which looks at the psyche of uh, of adolescent boys and and how how difficult a time they have kind of relating the the sexual fantasies, the, the, the playboy image of, of a woman at that time with, uh, with girls that are their own age. But it, it just goes, it goes really, really wrong in so many places. Like that, the way the house gets destroyed and there's um, this like ridiculous party. And we're used to being a party at the end of, of movies like this. But this was, this was so badly done. Over the top. Yeah. yeah, and I like over the top sometimes. And I mean, again, but the movie is outside reality. They continually just they they're gonna let whatever happens happens. And um, I'm not even sure. Like I, I thought early on, okay, here we go downhill. I, I'm not sure if the racist Chicago uh, jazz club sequence. sequence was the lowest point in this movie because I think it just gets you know gets worse and worse and worse. But Yet is... the intention behind it, I think, was good. I, I'm, I'm sure, definitely, at the time, there would be, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how it did box office, but, but there, there would be a lot of people that would go to any John Hughes movie at that time. I'm sure there were high school students that, yeah. that loved it. Um, I think like it did well enough. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't as, it's just not as respected as the rest of no. his crowd, and rightly so. I, I think mean that she's having the baby was the only movie that he made that was just a universal flop. It was successful mm-hmm. neither critically, financially, nor in, mm-hmm. in any way. Yeah. It just kind of just came and went. Um, even Curly Sue made money somehow. So yeah, <laughs> actually, that's yeah. I, I think yeah. there's a bit of a. a Maybe it's not necessarily satirical, but there's the dog that catches the, the car analogy here. It's like, mm-hmm. what do these two teenage boys want more than anything else? A gorgeous supermodel who would do their bidding. Mm-hmm. And once they have this gorgeous supermodel who will do their bidding, they have no fucking idea what to do with her, right? No, they're like, no. They're, they're just completely... She's completely, leading them along. Exactly. They're utterly helpless. They can barely, like, talk. And... I think what I enjoyed upon watching it this many years later mm-hmm. is like uh, the 80s filter of what qualified as cool and sexy. I think <laughs> Kelly LeBrock is a very beautiful woman, but mm-hmm. there are scenes in this movie where she looks kind of ridiculous. <laughs> She's still yeah. beautiful, but ridiculous. It uh-huh. sort of blurs the line. Yeah. And the fashion that they get when like they walk out uh, of the room and they start yeah. freaking out about how they look. Um, and they did a good job. I mean... Michael C. Hall was already well past high school age. I think Anthony it, Michael Hall. Yeah, uh, Michael, Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah. But his buddy Elon Mitchell Smith, he's got this weird squeaky voice. Oh yeah, and, no, uh, I know. Not his fault. It's just the way yeah, he well, sounds. Yeah. But 
in a way, it really helps the character because just the sound of his voice makes you kind of go, oh, I know this kid. I know this uh-huh. like kid. He's just this bundle of nerves and need. Yeah. And he's not like quite fully bloomed, but he's surrounded by people who have everything figured out. And he's like being left behind. And he's better, I think, between the, the two guys. He actually has more of an arc in the story. He's Anthony Michael Hall. I don't think can carry any movie at that time i don't think he could c- carry the movie they John were they were Hughes trying definitely loved him oh, yeah but he was the kid again. in vacation i mean that's yeah. that's where and but I he was great in the supporting role in breakfast club but he the just a lead this time the world there are certain yeah. actors that are just better served in small helpings that are mm-hmm. better as your sideline characters yeah um it's also again your celebrity sparring. Robert Downey Jr. plays one of yeah. the main adversaries, and he's very young, but still you can tell a very talented, very like magnetic yeah. personality. I mean, he's got a horrible two-dimensional character, and not then much it, to do, but and, he does a lot with it, considering. And it becomes tough when like the bullies then you know collaborate with uh, the bullied. To create another woman, or makes like, you which, not like them. It makes you like the no. boys less. That and then, that, and then the girlfriends. Stupid. And there's some moments in there which are really true. I mean, there's these two girls, and like these guys are acting like jerks in the mall, and they don't like that. But they're like, well, we we can't break up with them because then we'll be alone, and we we can't we afford can't be to be single. single. And that's like social suicide. If I broke up with them just because he's a bully, how would that make me look? Yeah, <laughs> and. Which is true. It's true today. It's true as it was in the 80s and, and before that. Part of his appeal is but, he's a bad boy. But they, I mean, the fact that, and again, spoiler alert, that that these two dweebs end up with these girls in the end, it's, which is kind of in the, the John Hughes fairy tale world. I mean, there's some relationships oh. in The Breakfast Club Make where you no could mistake. argue that one day in detention probably would not... But they John, address that more in Breakfast Club. One of Club. the biggest leads into why John Hughes is so successful, both with, I think, men and women, mm-hmm. is the nerd wish fulfillment thing. Yeah. Everybody wants to be Ducky from uh, like Pretty in Pink, who's like mm-hmm. the cool kid who can talk to the girls, but instead of being left in the sidelines, we want to believe he's going to get the girl. Right? Yeah. And uh, no, the most obvious version of this, one of his later screenplays, uh, I don't know if it's over or underrated, but it's always stuck with me. Uh, Jennifer Connelly starring Career Opportunities. Mm-hmm. John Hughes wrote oh, yeah, the screenplay, right. and it's yeah. about like the nerdiest guy in the town being locked overnight in a Walmart or something <laughs> yes. with the hottest girl in town. Yeah. And uh, they get to know each other, and lo and behold, it's like the complete ridiculous wish fulfillment fantasy. But it has legs it, it works for him over and over I almost forgot about that movie so <laughs> thanks for the reminder yeah. uh, we can talk about career opportunities after I press stop and then, uh, <laughs> this is an interesting history with me um, I, I, I will always have a, a certain degree of affection for mm-hmm. this movie but I think at this point it has more to do with where and who I was when I first saw it now it's this sort of piece of antiquity and mm-hmm. nostalgia, and it kind of becomes bittersweet because the things that were so fresh and new and adventurous when I saw them as a kid are now not and just old, but genuinely outdated. It, does, it happens. I mean, the thing I was wrestling with with this movie is if John Hughes' name was on Chillerama instead of this movie, right. would, would I have been like 
trying to figure out like the noble intentions of it or would I have just dismissed it? And, and it's, it's genuinely funny. It has genuinely funny lines in it and genuinely warm moments in it in a way that Shilarama never even attempted. Yeah. So that's where it tips his hand as being like a John Hughes joint. But, but I, I feel like the very beginning was definitely his. And I, I have to remind myself in some of the John Hughes screenplays that I like, he, he does repeat himself. And if you look at National Lampoon's Vacation, there's a ton of incredibly misogynistic stuff in there. <laughs> Um, but often there, there will be, you know, Clark Griswold does not end up with, uh, with, uh, the, 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 day, the supermodel, he, or, you know, I mean, he has dirty fantasies, he has bad thoughts, but the forefront thing that the engine that runs his life is his love for his family. And we like him, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's not a commentary on it. It's just a reflection of its time. Yeah. And this is also... They're in high school, and we don't know two weeks after this, the story ends, they're probably broken up. I mean, yeah, exactly. you know, yeah, they haven't met the loves of their lives. Well, stick know. with these guys, girls. I think they're going to do okay. They seem to know their way around computers, and uh, yes. that would play. Well, they're, they're a lot better than, <laughs> as much as I'd rather see Robert Downey Jr. anchoring a film than uh, Anthony Michael Hall. So. If you want to ride their road, you got to know the rules. Never play cowboy. School's out, boys. In a room full of Indians. It's better to be dead and cool than alive and uncool. Never go into a bar. I can't watch this. Unless you're willing to get smashed. You're doing pretty good up to there. Never ride a Brahma bull. Strap on your seatbelt get ready to fly. When you can take a bus. That look like the work of two bit hoods. Yeah, pros would have used my keys. Never rob a bank. Get back what's mine and kill these men, okay? Run by bigger crooks than you. Hey man, that's what friendship's all about. Never resist an arresting officer. Okay, cowboy, let's pull off some steam. We gotta talk to the man upstairs. You stab my tail. No problem. Never start at the bottom when you want the man on top. Never dive from the 20th floor. We're gonna jump. I hate you for this, Harley. I hate you, Harley! Unless the pool is full. You guys are a piece of work. Shoot him! Mickey Rourke, Don Johnson, Harley Davidson, and the Marlboro Man. Can't believe you shot me! Nobody remembers Harley Davidson in the Wild Bro Man. I do. You do? I okay. remember, yeah, the summer of 1991. Yeah. Uh, it did not make uh, a big impression when it came out. It was neither well-received well critically nor, nor in the box office. And it's, you know, kind of feel like you could see this coming. Uh, I mean, the most edgy new thing in the movie is that it dares to be said in the near future. <laughs> But it's basically a heist gone wrong, and then these guys are being hunted down by, by gangsters. A couple of dim-witted, you know, rough-hewn heroes who get in over their head and have to, you know, get back in the corner and have to shoot their way out. Full of surprise and laughs. It's so 90s. It's, like, so, so ridiculously 90s. But I have to wonder, I mean, not that it necessarily looks horrible, but what would make this look good on paper? And what would make you think, like, when you got this recipe, when you're like, yeah, yeah, 
Mickey Rourke is our, our Harley Davidson. And, and yes, Don Johnson of Miami Vice, which was popular eight years ago on television, <laughs> is our Marlboro man. And yeah, it'll be a good idea. Everybody will be named after some sort of TV or pop culture mm-hmm. or, 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 you know. Virginia Slim. Calamity Jane. Like, again, we're just going <laughs> to, for no reason, for no reason. It's just sort of an aspect or an affect of the movie. It's a very strange buddy comedy action shoot 'em up that repeatedly offends credulity. <laughs> like there's ludicrous stuff that happens mm. in the movie. But you know what it's not? It's not boring. <laughs> no. Not at all. And uh, as I said before I hit record, um, Apparently everybody was in this. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, there's a it's lot of great faces. cast at the time. Maybe they weren't that big, but like uh, you look at it now, and it's kind of sick. The supporting cast in it. So I guess my opening salvo would be twofold. I mean, why was it ignored, and do you think it deserved to be? Okay. I just want to state though, this was the movie when I looked at the list that I've always wanted to see. And this was the reason I decided to be the guest for <laughs> this was, entire program this is because of this. I was always curious about it. I remember when it came out in theaters and I just had not seen it and always wanted to see it. And I was just really curious about it. And, um, I, I don't think it should be ignored. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed almost every moment of this and this was the movie i thought was going to be the so the most misogynistic <laughs> and yet i i really kind of had to struggle to see because actually the the few there aren't many female characters but the few that are in there actually show some strength <laughs> um uh, the wrestler, uh, Big John Stud. Right, he's he has a, a real issue with the Yeah, Marley. yeah, he's this big, enormous guy who can beat up anybody, but his girlfriend is uh, Vanessa Williams, who and she just owns him. <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, and she just totally, like, destroys him publicly, and and he, he would totally kill for her, um, and, and she has um, some strength. And, and I thought I thought that there's, um, Don Johnson has this, Girlfriend or yes. former girlfriend who's, uh, uh, we, we sort of discover later on is a police officer. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is going to be something where, okay, we, we finally have a female character that's in an important position, which is a profession which has been dominated by men. And then she's going to be treated as a sex object. I don't think she is. No. At if all. If anything, she treats, uh, she treats him as a sex yeah. object. Yeah. So, and, and this That's is Chelsea Fields. I've always thought she was a very beautiful actress, actually. Yeah, and, and she's she's great. And I don't know, like, because it's an all-star cast, but I I'm not sure what happened to her uh, she, after this. She, she, was, she could have been. She was in the last Boy Scout. She did a yeah, few things 91 in was, the late eighties, well. early nineties, and then I just. Well, some people like, they have families, and yeah. and there's such cruelty in Hollywood as we now know. So we could see people backing away from that world, but. But she's great. Uh, I, I I really really enjoy this movie. And what it what made me think of is a movie that perhaps Robert Rodriguez would make mm-hmm. in in his kind of grindhouse uh, homages, 
because of the all-star cast. And maybe the other thought was he, I mean, he sort of helped uh, Mickey Rourke get back on his feet. A lot of people mentioned The Wrestler as being a big comeback project, but his he, he had a major role in Sin City. Right. Um, and t- took up most of the story and gave a great performance in that. Um, and Don Johnson ended up, ended up in uh, one of the Machete movies as well. So yeah. Robert Rodriguez is somebody who like remembers these these guys who were either through dusts them off and throws dusts them, them off movie. yeah and um and i like that and I, I feel like this this is made in a very professional way this film and but the that kind of um wink to the audience stuff wasn't happening in the summer of 1991 and 91 like that was a major year Thelma and louise came out which was and this in a way is kind of that kind traditionally what that kind of movie was this buddy movie with Thelma and Louise changed that and Boys in the Hood was the talk of that summer because of for so many different reasons so I could see a movie like this getting lost because great cinema was coming out that summer and never mind Terminator 2 I mean it looked like another action buddy comedy which it both is and isn't Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny that you say Robert Rodriguez because I thought this was kind of like a wannabe John Carpenter movie. And oh, okay. It runs more on its attitude and its sort of like vibe. Like the movie it has really strong moments uh, and it's sort of more of those little isolated moments. Uh, and the Western milieu, that it's simultaneously yeah. in the future and a Western. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of hilarious that he chooses to put his bike down. He, like, literally yes. shoots yes. the bike. And yes. he, he, he's going to steal his uh, his ex-girlfriend's boyfriend's bike just <laughs> yes. out of, like, petty vengeance. Yeah. And he's not even going to leave a drivable bike there no. <laughs> for the guy. No. Because it's no. um, but it is weirdly the component parts more than the sum of the parts that make it work mm-hmm. I'm really charmed by him the, the the gang of buddies that we're introduced yeah. to but I know by <laughs> the program of the this sort of script to not get too attached to yeah because There's a lot of really good folks in there <laughs> amazing all of them are going to be dead very soon yeah. the movie's not called Harley Davidson well, and the Marlboro Man and gang. <laughs> yeah, because it looks like an it starts to look like an ensemble piece, and, yeah. and then you kind of know something's going to happen. They want to steal uh, money from a ban- uh, an armored van so that they can save their favorite bar and hang out, mm-hmm. and uh, you know repair a damaged friendship uh, from back in the day. Because the, the bar is being taken over by this evil, evil bank entity yeah. represented by yeah. Tom Sizemore. And uh, so they they pull off this heist, which is very entertaining and mm. funny as they, they they do it. And then at the <laughs> the end, the unfortunate thing is that instead of money, they find this. Uh, do you remember what they call the the drug? Oh, uh, crystal dream. Crystal dream. Crystal dream. Which I don't know if that was a take on crystal meth. Maybe um, um, it's a future drug, MacGuffin yeah. thing. And so well, then it's like look. We, we've really stepped in it, but these guys, they're, they're businessmen, they don't want to lose their profit, and really, the m- amount of money we're going to need is s- small beans compared to them. If they can get their product back for that, you know. But of course, Tom Sizemore is way too evil to be allowed anyone to steal from him. Mm-hmm. So and he smart. sends a bunch of henchmen, led by uh, <laughs> Daniel Baldwin, Daniel Baldwin yeah. to come and shoot these guys, uh, kill these guys, and they do. 
And the, yeah, they're they bulletproof, too. They have a tracking yeah. device on them, which it takes yeah. them way too long to figure out. And <laughs> there's just a couple of things, like, in the movie, that the small changes, but in a way, big changes. Like, narratively, it's a big reveal to them when it's like, man, we really can't shoot those guys. They really seem bulletproof. Yeah. Like, they spend so much time shooting them again and again and again. And, and have... then all of a sudden, they have this epiphany. Hmm. What if we shoot them in the head, the one area of the body which is exposed? And it's like they had this, like, aha moment. And yes. I'm like, seriously? That is fucking sloppy, you guys. Like, mm-hmm. like even for a movie this silly, that is sloppy. And there is a memorable and controversial sequence where they are in a, backed into a corner on the top of this skyscraper. Oh, yeah. And they drop, but- like... 20 floors into a, a swimming, swimming pool, pool yeah and just brush that shit off and they ask the audience to just brush that shit off and um i, I do because the movie is fun and stupid mm-hmm. but you have to let shit go if you fight with this movie at all you will win is my point i have a lot of fun with it uh, but i just roll with the punches don't question anything that happens in this oh. movie. Just just count on the next scene being action-packed and funny, and it probably will be. But it's a really, really good action movie. Yeah. I mean, I've seen more respected action movies which have giant holes like what you're just... You're yeah. talking about, and at at the time, you know, Big off budget. of Lethal Weapon, yeah. they had they had to have a scene where the heroes leap off of some impossible space. Big budget action has never been known for having airtight plots. No, I, I recognize no. that, yeah. and we'll concede that point. But even in that universe, if John McClane jumped off the twenty fifth floor of Nakatomi and landed in a swimming pool, and we were expected to think, yeah, that'll do it, he'll be fine. Like, no, no. I don't know what they make future swimming pools. But you're mentioning the best of that genre. I mean, I'm I'm talking about the... Yeah. But, again, the Con Airs of the world, then, you know? Like, the Con Air has a completely wily coyote death for for, uh, its its main villains. Yes, that's a better comparison. They're stupid, and they know they're stupid. Um, And I think this movie... It is dumb fun, but it knows that it's dumb fun. Yeah. But I do think you have to let it be dumb fun. Mm-hmm. It's not just dumb fun enough to wash over you. I think you have to want to meet it. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> or do you think it will just work to anybody? Anybody could just turn on. I if you don't, I don't think if you if you don't like action movies, mm. I'd stay away from this. And actually, on the whole, I don't really like action movies that much. But this one had some sort of a stylistic quality that I was interested in. It got me early. Um, and again, this, this really was a surprise to me because I thought, okay, there's a reason I haven't seen this movie and I've known about it since its release. Uh, but it was so much better than I expected. That is the victory of the movie. Yeah. We expect to laugh at the movie mm-hmm. and we end up laughing with it. Yes. That's why I submit it as a cult classic. <laughs> yes. I also I, I, think that it's like underseen. Again, nobody just, saw it in 1991. No. And a lot of people, when I mention it or if I do, are like, who's it and what now? <laughs> yeah. And like, I guess I can be sympathetic that they're not all jazzed about a Mickey Rourke movie from 30 years ago. But, like, <laughs> but he was doing some good stuff. And, well, this and I've always liked, I've liked Don Johnson. Era. 
His peak era was late 80s, early 90s, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Like, the Angel Heart kind yes, of Yes, that was amazing. Uh, it was where he did some of his best acting. Yeah. So. And Angel Heart is a much better movie than this. Oh, no, so, yeah. yeah. But, like, and he's kind of morphed into a cartoon of himself in, in, in later mm-hmm. life. But, um, no, I mean, it was sort of a last cry gasp for Don Johnson as a movie star, but mm-hmm. he fell back on his Nash Bridges or whatever TV show. <laughs> That's right. And uh, Mickey Rourke decided that uh, maybe he'd try boxing for a while and yeah. uh, permanently fucked up his face. And for all of that, we have Harley <laughs> Davidson and Marlboro Man to thank. But who knows? I mean, uh, I think it deserves its day in court. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's not mm-hmm. smart at all. <laughs> But it's a lot but of But lots of style. Okay. Lots of style. And I I think there are a lot of people that will like it. I, I think it's worth checking out. Like movie geeks like myself should see this movie. Uh, one thing that weirdly worked for me, I don't know why, and it worked for me in 1991 and it still works for mm-hmm. me today, this business with Don Johnson's boots. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was cool. Yeah. His dad gave him these boots, and mm-hmm. they've been worn out probably since he had them when he first got them. Yeah. And they're more duct tape. Oh, oh, yeah. And he refuses to replace them. He mm-hmm. they, they, they're his daddy's boots. And then at the end, the, the Tom Sizemore character is trying to drag him out of this window <laughs> to his death. And the boots finally are torn, yeah. and the bad guy falls to his death. And it's, it's a great like, payoff. It's completely on the nose, but I, I really think it works. There's something like, oh no, his boot. But of course, his it was boot. It was like destiny. It was. <laughs> you <know? laughs> well, and you, you spend a lot of time, if you're listening carefully... Almost all of Don Johnson's lines start off with some statement about his father. My, my uh, before he left this shitty world. Yeah, my yeah. Told me yeah. he starts everything with that, and and if you're not paying attention, you're like, well, I don't know, like why he's doing that, but but then there's a reason, and it leads to that story, which leads to the payoff and yeah. the climax of the film. And there's a really well shot shootout. That makes sense. A really well, uh, yes, well directed, well directed shootout yeah. that happens in like an airplane graveyard. Yes, um, and uh, it's established that you know uh, Harley cannot shoot. For yes, shit. yeah. The Marlboro Man is fucking lethal. Yes, but the badass biker dude yeah. is terrible. He, he... And uh, it's a really great scene. Of course, you know. <laughs> Don Johnson's is hostage. It's down. It's down to Mickey Rourke to shoot him. He has to and shoot him. Don he has only Johnson, so many bullets. Yeah, he knows that there's a better than average chance that he's not going to be able to pull this off. And when he inevitably takes a round in the arm, his reaction is so perfect because he both over and underreacts to it at the same time. He kind of looks at it and then looks back at his buddy and is like, "God damn." <laughs> And uh, it also surprised me how much the stakes were working for me in mm-hmm. the scene. I was like, I don't want either of these guys to get shot. They've no. already lost too much. Yeah. They can't lose anymore. And for a movie as ridiculous as that to accomplish it, for the sentimental twist of the boots to pay off, a lot more was working yeah. than it did. Well, and they also they talk about how expensive the bullets are mm-hmm. for That's this right. gun. That never happens in movies. They didn't. Yeah. I, so I think it's a you know well above average action movie. Maybe it didn't need to be set whatever it was six years in the future, but I, like but that was kind of the movie. John Carpenter thought yeah. part that I and and so the design of the Daniel Baldwin 
yeah. gang there. Um, but yeah. I think it was just to give it a little bit of otherness, a little bit of reach yeah. to excuse some of the. Well, in the Pasadena airport or something was a big deal. <laughs> uh, if you can find a copy of this movie, and it's not easily done anymore, no. uh, give it a day in court. Yes, please do. Edward, I know that we haven't spoken in a few years. I need your help. I need your help. I have a daughter. Her name is Rowan. She has been missing for two weeks now. I fear she is in danger, so now I turn to you. Be careful and believe nothing that you see or hear. Lost your bearings? Oh, hey, sorry, snuck up on me there. This is private property. Do you know her? Hmm, I don't recognize this child. Welcome. My little girl is still here. She has been taken by who I don't know. I'll find her. If she existed, we would know of her. Whose desk is this, hmm? Rowan? Hello? You suspect foul play. Hey! Wicker Man returns. Who's the Wicker Man? I'm gonna search every inch of this town. She burned to death. She burned to death. So Neil Labute. <laughs> He's uh, a genius. You think so? I mean, I I, 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 I definitely, I get that he makes tough scripts and that he really enjoys pressing buttons. Uh -huh. He's... He's as, as sort of known for being willing to just do uncomfortable subject yep. matter as he is, you know, for being a craftsman. Yep. It's just he's willing to write about shit that's ugly and he somehow gets away with it. One of the most uncomfortable date movies I've ever had in my life was taking a girl to see her friends and neighbors. Oh, that's an <laughs> uncompromising mo movie. Not a date movie. Not a date movie. Not necessarily a bad movie, but not a date movie. No. Uh, again, movies like Nurse Betty, I don't know who the audience is for. I kind of like that it exists, yeah. but I don't know who that movie is for. Yeah, probably me. In the Company <laughs> of Men is one of the most brutal, ugly movies yeah. ever. Uh, so I've always, you know, sort of told the line, is he one of these guys that just lives on exploitation? Is he a uh, Lars von Trier or Larry Clark? Or does he actually have something to say other than just wanting to make us uncomfortable? The thing is, when you come to a remake of The Wicker Man, is I, I know it's an, a very famous cult horror movie, but it's also, as much as I love it, a very dated movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that you could probably, you know, it's a, a tough enough story and an interesting enough story. You could probably remake it in an interesting way or take an angle on it that would mm -hmm. be interesting. And Neil LaBoot, who, you know, is a very accomplished you know stage and screenwriter tackling the subject matter maybe that could be really interesting and nicholas cage hadn't you know fully cartooned out into ghost yeah. rider territory yeah he was still so okay. there was enough about this project that it could look good on paper so that he was able to get people like ellen bernstein in this movie I love she's ellen one of the bernstein. best method actors she's, it's it's an 
it's a fucking awful movie. Like, it's an aggravating movie. Mm-hmm. There's some people who, like, say that this is, like, a so bad it's good type of experience. But I have to say, upon watching it again, to my shame, for the third time in my life, I hated, 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 hated The Wicker Man. And not in a compliment for uh, hated. And, and mainly not in a compliment. There yeah. are a few moments in the movie that are undeniably, unintentionally hilarious. Oh, yeah, and I know. And th- those moments are like the best kind of bad movie. But I think what we see here is the tipping point for Nicolas Cage. After after this Wicker Man movie, it was kind of hard to take Cage completely yeah. serious anymore. He was a producer on the movie as well. But he didn't write it and he didn't direct it. No. A lot of heat gets thrown on Cage and he is big and over the top. But the problem is the screenplay. The problem is Levout. He failed about as epically as you could imagine at making a scary or interesting or subversive movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there's things to be said, or maybe there's some interesting satire, or maybe, you know, it would be bold to, to make some hard points against feminism or radical pe- feminism. And if as much as people like to make a bath out of a toxic masculinity, does it not make sense that then toxic femininity would also exist mm-hmm. to balance the scales, right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's bedrock of really interesting shit to build on. And what we have here is... A catastrophe. Yeah, and I and I haven't taken the time to investigate because I know there's a lot of things out there about why this went so wrong. Right. But I, I haven't looked at it. But I, I I really feel that at the time, who had more power in Hollywood, Neil LeBute or Nicholas Cage? Oh. Probably Cage. This was a star vehicle for Cage. I wonder if there were things that that LeBute wanted to change and fix, and Cage stopped him from being able to do that. But that's me speculating. I haven't looked at that. I haven't seen a whole series of videos where people blame each other or whatever. And there should be, because I, and I, I, I should learn in some ways that when a movie appears with this amazing cast, amazing writing writer-director, whether you think he's amazing or not, mm-hmm. I don't know, but um, I think he... He's a bit better as a playwright than he is as a screenwriter or a filmmaker because he's he's also made I some some he, other stuff that's not he that fits great. better into the stage than he does to the screen in some ways. I would agree there. Yeah, for but, me the jury remains out on the butte. To be honest, I'm almost ready to write him off as just like this guy who just wants to stir the pot but doesn't really have anything to say. But what has he done lately? Uh, as far as movies, I mean, Lakeview Terrace, I think, was, wasn't that him? That was him, but yeah. I, I don't know what too much. And I don't know to. anybody who saw it, so yeah. I, mean, I can't comment on it, but I, that's even worse than The Wicker Man. At least people talk about this. But I was so interested in seeing this because look at all these great people, but I heard there, there was no publicity for this thing beforehand, so I, I think they all knew that they had an expensive dead fish that they had to, you know, throw out there and then recover what they could but it is it is it it shocked me how bad it was and i i i was laughing and i'm not supposed to be laughing at the climax of that film you're not laughing at the original at the climax the film and what the only change i could see in there is that the the original wicker man is a comment on religion and um and 
And there actually is like a genuine dialogue back and forth about Christianity versus pagan religions and um, and, and some great scenes in there. There, there isn't anything like that in here. And there was an opportunity when you have Ellen Bernstein, who again is one of the one of the greats, and Nicolas Cage, who is like out of control. Uh, and pairing those two together for a scene is is interesting. But I think if there had been a scene in there where they could talk about um, gender issues, because I, I, I mean, it seemed pretty slow for him to realize that. Uh, this island is almost totally women, and the men he tries to talk to do not speak to him. And there's eventually like a payoff, which they don't didn't exploit, and I think they should have exploited to make that a little bit more horrifying. If in fact this was meant to be a horror movie, as I, I think it was supposed to be, and is not, um, it is it is a gong show <laughs> from beginning to end. There, there are there are some pretty at the time talented. Um, actors in this, Lily Sobieski has a thankless role. Ugh. Like, the, I I think the the highlight for her is she gets into some sort of a fist fight with Nicolas Cage. He gets and gets, gets knocked her out. Ass kicked, you know, clearly he's twice her fucking weight. It's yeah, ridiculous. it doesn't. And, and the the equivalent of her character is this uh, in the original is this big. Well, he wasn't that big, I guess, but this the the hotel owner, and it was a little bit more of a. Kind of a fair fight yeah. uh, in that one. This this, this didn't make okay. any sense, and and there are several bits that are so bad, and you're I'm sure going to talk about some of them. <laughs> but the climax is so laughable. The post production with these voiceovers, it's some of the worst voiceover stuff. Oh like- crunch! You broke my leg. <laughs> oh oh oh! You he does one of these awful misogynistic you bitches type of uh, speeches. It feels- it's terrible unfinished it feels like 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 they they didn't you know finish the special effects at a few parts so there was like stuff that they were going to get to that they didn't get to uh the, the frustrating thing like in the, the first movie i kind of felt like it was kind of odd and there was like a weird countercultural exploration but it was mainly more weird and off-putting. It was the ending that kind of redeemed the movie for me. It was just mm. that real shocker ending. It's almost a musical. It's, it's so, <laughs> yeah. so strange. They're, they're, they're singing and yeah. it's very Scottish type of... But, you know, that sucker punch ending and the fact that everything was this horrifying manipulation. Yeah. Now, part of it, it's by the nature of being a remake. Presumably that is spoil, spoiled. So you know where it's going to go. So yeah. there's a certain inevitability. It doesn't mean that the movie still couldn't be good, but the gotcha factor is mm-hmm. 100% gone. But there, all I have is questions. We haven't really talked plot, but Nicolas Cage hears from a, his uh, old lover that her daughter has gone missing on this island. She's living in this weird cult, and uh, that he should you know, show up and find her. This is all launched off the precipice of this tragedy he was witness to a terrible car accident in which a small child burned in a car mm-hmm. that entire wing of the movie could be completely excised and you wouldn't miss it or know that it was missing but he keeps on seeing images of little <laughs> girls getting, getting <laughs> run over or burned and that that this is some sort of redemption the fact that it's his child and she's missing was not motivation enough right he needed this other fucking layer of something and the entire movie jason is him asking people questions and them plainly just not answering him and him just shrugging it off there's no follow-up 
right? <laughs> Where were you Thursday? Oh, Thursdays are always great days. <laughs> like those are the kind of yes, questions yes. and Nothing. those are the kind of answers. We never move forward. We never, yeah. I feel his frustration. I'm ready to punch somebody by the time he starts punching mm -hmm. people. But yeah, like, yeah. Then the movie tries to go, well, well, this isn't working, so let's throw a random jump scare. No, that's not working. Let's hit them with troubling imagery. There's a series where he just opens a series of doors, and there's a, like a random horrible image between each door. Like Those people spent their days waiting in queue and line for him to show up and open that door. <laughs> To see the disturbing <laughs> yes. moments. Yes. Like, what were they doing? What were, what, like, all I have is questions. Like, anybody on set, any moment could ask any question, and the whole house of cards falls apart. Oh, so to me, there's no way. I don't understand how Lebut, I don't know what approach he was taking. I don't know what he thought he was doing. I don't know if he thought he was being subversive or there was some sort of meta angle to it. I am baffled from wall to wall. I know, like, I know. What were you even fucking attempting and yes Nicolas Cage is hilariously over the top and flailing the mm -hmm. whole time because that's what he's being asked to do there's yeah. a whole sequence where he thinks he sees the girl drowning under the water and he dives into the water and he grabs the girl but then it's not the girl and then he wakes up but then he's not awake there's another <laughs> this is Oh, it's so yeah. It's Molly it is, Parker. It's so bad. Oh I yeah, love. that's the other shame in this. Like oh, I love Molly Parker. Nothing to do. She has nothing to do, and, and as amazing as an actress as she is, she can't make it work. Funny, funny, fun note. Do you know that she plays two characters in the movie? Yes, she, she is she, a twin for no reason. For no reason. Even, well, I, I guess there's some twins that. in there. There's that the, those creepy twins. Mm, the old lady. Blind witches. Yeah, which yeah. I've seen in a million things. And the was... first time I saw it, I actually missed that. When I was rewatching it, I was like, "She's a twin, really?" And again, why? Yeah, so many questions. Didn't I just, didn't I just talk to you? Uh, uh, no, that's my sister. This, <laughs> okay, well, let me just go on to the next part. This unbelievably mamby pamby, simplistic like <laughs> approach to the, like uh, these women clearly hate men. They're clearly raising children to hate men. Mm -hmm. And like their evil is on their face. The smugness is on their face. This is the worst detective in the world. He has no danger detector. No. His fucking wife, Willow, I can't remember. Yeah, Willow. I can't remember yeah. the name of her, the actress. But like, she is the most... Mm -hmm fucking frustrating character like mm -hmm. of all the characters who don't answer questions like this is your child you sent me a letter now you're telling me it's my child can you help me at all no no like I, i'm I, under their control i feel like he's driven mad by his surroundings and yet i still can't like him and oh I, no, no i fucking hate the cult of women and i think that could have been interesting even if they did want to make them evil but like take an angle on it or, or, or make them, you know, smug. The the trap that the guy live, falls into in the original one is haunting because everybody is so warm to him. People are offering him free drink, yes. drinks and sausage because they know he's winding up the clock on his life and they want to contribute to the sacrifice. They want to be part of it. They're they're warm and that makes it and he's so... kind of a pious guy, but yet you understand where he's coming from and there's this great scene instead of that big sequence with this over-the-top car accident yeah. and uh, in these 
this conversation with this uh, this other police officer, and there's a scene where she turns into bees, which there's uh, <laughs> no purpose that I could see. It takes a long time to get to the island, and it's scene two in in the original Wicker Wicker Man, um, and they just have a, a bit of a communion scene, which has relevance because it it, it dictates his life, and it's about Christ's sacrifice. And then at the end, he becomes the sacrifice. Yeah. So for their religion, so it, it all works and nothing works here. And the only adjustment I saw is they the the religious. It's about religion, and this is about gender. I don't know how they got the women that they got to be in this film because it is gives feminism such a bad name. And, that, that's and there so are people good. who actually believe that's what feminism is, is how it's portrayed in this movie. And that made me really mad when I when I first it's saw it. this cartoon version of like radicalized feminism, and that's just Lviv pushing buttons, and he loves mm-hmm. to do that. I think he knew that people would be offended and angered by that. And I think the actor just showed but, up because he's Neil Lviv, he's a legitimate guy. But where's Maybe, his dialogue? Because his dialogue is fantastic, and his plays in The Company of Men and uh, Your Friends and Neighbors, that's all there like the horrible speeches but in this he's never been asked to do a procedural before he's never given a character a puzzle to solve he's just let assholes be assholes this is why the jury's out on Neil Labute like was this a for pay job like did the studio say he wrote and directed it I have to assume that it was like if it was offered to him he said yes he saw something he could make out of it I am starting to suspect that he's more interested in making people uncomfortable than he is in telling a story Because that's where he started, and that's where. where well, and, and I don't want to go into this because it's too long. Derail like the story it. of how he became an artist and his his background. Uh, I think the biggest the the first shot of the movie is the biggest mistake. We see an uncredited cameo by Aaron Eckhart, who has was his his muse and he's worked with for a million years. Aaron Eckhart is there, and instead of following Aaron Eckhart into yeah. a different movie. No, we let him walk off screen and we follow Nicolas Cage in this this um, disaster. The most horrifying thing is the talent of the people that put this together and that was such a dud. I mean, it. the internet had a field day over Nicolas Cage punching all these women. Honestly, I don't have a problem with him using physical violence. I mean, we know how evil this cult is. They're going to kill him. His life is at stake, whether he knows it or not. But, like, there's something really strange. He punches into unconsciousness three different women in this movie. And it's not a fight. It's not like, with the exception of Lily Sylvieski, who actually throws a few punches yeah. first. Yeah. Every other time, he just flat out cold cocks a woman. And it seems really strange. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And again, spoilers, he gets burned in the Wicker Man. And I feel so bad. nothing. I feel nothing. I don't feel sorry for him. I don't feel happy for them. There are no winners, no losers. And uh, I don't know if it's in your version, but in the unrated version that I watched, we then cut to a bar and James Franco. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's his face? Josh Ritter, Jason Ritter's son. Yeah. Or John Ritter's son, yeah. pardon me. Is it Jason Ritter? I can't remember. Anyway, there are these J- two. Jason, yeah. They're these two young cops just about to get, put their badges mm-hmm. on and. Lo and behold, these women are there to seduce them. Women are evil. They're manipulators. They, mm-hmm. they, they have this plan to shape your entire life to become this terrible fate. The, the, the mentality of the movie is off. There's no scares to it. 
the dialogue, as I've said, is so fucking frustrating. Circular question. The, the scene where he talks to Ellen Burstyn. That's like, terrible. It, like Some of it was ask, taken from the original, but not most of it is not. Yeah, well, in the original, he's really judging harshly the pagan, pagan religion because he's yeah. a super pious dude. We don't get any kind of piety out of no. Nicolas Cage at all. But he talks to her with about ten minutes before getting around to asking about the little girl. Why are you there? What is your motivation, Oscar-winning actor Nicolas Cage? Neil mm. Butte, like... If he's a detective trying to find his daughter, who he believes may have been either burned to death or will be burned to death, where's the fucking urgency? Where are the stakes? Why don't I care? Why don't you care? This movie is god-awful. It is. It is. And it just given what they had to work with and comparing them to some of the other movies on their list, even (laughs) though there were some amazing casts in them... This is this is really the biggest letdown. Yeah. Because I feel like they had they had the source material, they had the writer, maybe d- director. I think he's more of a writer than he is a director. They had the cast. I mean, maybe we didn't know that Nick Cage was moving into whatever he was has moved into. Yeah. Um, but there were a ton of other people in this movie that are amazing. That. That could hold potentially hold a movie up, even if he was, you know, doing his uh, his wild stuff, which he's always done to some extent. He he needs a really strong director to focus him, and that's the difference between great Nicolas Cage and what we often get. The thing that makes the movie almost an experience worth enduring is that it is almost fascinating how nothing went right. There's yeah, I don't a, know how Like, I can't even say, well, at least Dylan Bernstein gave a great performance. No. Or at least Molly Parker rendered, you know, adequately. No. There's not a scene, a moment, a scare, like a standout. If when I buy a, an album, I will, you know, after I've listened to it, I think to myself, what are the standout tracks? Mm-hmm. What are the three or four things that really, like, leap out at me, yeah. right? There are no standout tracks. Nothing. There are no peaks, only valleys. The, the only things I remember, and I, I actually, I don't know. Thankfully, I'd forgotten a lot of stuff from when I saw it in the theater, but the things I remember most are like the worst things, the climax of the movie and Cage shouting out and really awful sound effects and and the, the stuff of the bees, which is... Okay, he's allergic such... to bees. I know like we could do this all night, but... So he gets stung by a bee and he runs in panic where? Into a field of beehives. Pick any other fucking direction. <laughs> Again, it's a really basic question. Where do you go? Run towards civilization or the beehives? Pick one. I'm going beehives. Like, my throat's closing and a bee sting could kill me, but I'm going to see if one of these bees will resuscitate me. It's gobsmackingly stupid. Well, and the, it seems like he recovers the next day, but they talk about how he almost died. Another really picky one is he goes around in this suit. He's 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 underwater several times. I had a whole list of things that uh, he doesn't seem to sweat at any point. The suit is in perfect shape at the end of the movie as it is. He doesn't change clothes other than when he gets into a bear suit, which is another one of the things Surreal. I will never be able to remove from my mind. You can't unsee that. No, no, it, it is oh, it is awful. It is awful. 
So it's already got this cult crowd around it, and there's a there's this weird audience that says that Wicker Man is so bad it's good, and no. I'm here to submit that it is not so bad it's good. It, I mean, it is kind of a fascinating catastrophe in that a lot of really smart, really talented people got together and made something really stupid and unenjoyable. <laughs> but, it's almost lifeless. I mean, it... but that's it. And like, I just, I don't understand how people enjoy it. I don't like the cult crowd around this one is a little bit mystifying. This is more sad than funny. I, I think people, are, I, there's a generation of people that have only known this version of Nicolas Cage and right. they're fascinated by how he the is man. a working actor um, doing what he does on a regular basis. And that's maybe what has prompted this. But other than that, I, I, I don't get why people would waste their time with this. If you haven't seen this version of Wicker Man, good. Mr. Debray, thank you for returning to Rankin Review once again. What a what a what a nosebleed inducing list of movies <laughs> that we have here. Uh, I am not at all suspicious of what your last ranking movie is, but I am what? curious to hear what the rank is. Okay. Uh, but please do not disappoint me. Please at least tell me that we agree. On one of these. On or, one of these. Yeah. If not. I, I hope so. I mean, given what they had. You know, I think you could say that technically some things are are better in The Wicker Man than some of the other ones, but they had a lot more to work with, and it's just a bigger letdown. And just talking to you made me angry all over again about this thing. Yeah, the, 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 the Wicker Man's number six. It's the worst one on this list, and it's the worst one on, on most lists. Uh, you could come up with uh, five shows <laughs> and find some sort of a theme from it, and it would be the worst in almost all of them. Uh, just a giant letdown of a film. Uh, number five, even though I know what it was trying to do, and it, I, I think it would satisfy those who like what it was doing, and I tried to find some redeeming qualities, but Chillerama yeah. just uh, it just didn't work for me. And, and I, I think when I, when I it was the first one in this list uh, preparing for the show that I saw, and it didn't age in my mind with time. I was just kind of like cringing about about different things that I just remember remembering and did not like about it. So uh, it, it was it was actually darn close to being the the worst for me. But they, again, they're they seem like they're independent filmmakers, and there's something kind of brave about what they're doing. Yet I don't think it it just doesn't work for me. Number four, and I hate because this is the one that you love. <laughs> I, uh, the most I, I I hate to pick on freaked, but I there it be. It's I I liked 
some of the setup. I like the you know kind of late '80s jokes in there. I like the cast in probably more so in different things, um, and I enjoyed listening to you describe things that make you laugh. And I wish I could laugh with me, but you're with, not with there. you. But I, I, I didn't laugh a whole lot at, at this. I and I, I don't know if I, maybe I was going into like I have to review this in a little bit too serious. And if I watch it again, I'll get more out of it. Number three is Weird Science. Uh, it's definitely a bad movie. I think the setup had potential as awful and, and sexist as it is, and what he might have been trying to do. But I don't know if it's because John Hughes is listed as the writer-director if I'm giving this movie more credit than it deserves. There are some really awful, awful moments in it. Yeah. And uh, and it is so over the top at the end. But I think he was kind of allowed. He was allowed that. And, you know, there are one or two things I liked about it. But on the whole, I didn't. Then we get to the two I liked. And I mean, I genuinely thumbs up liked. And I didn't expect to like anything in right. the show. Um I like Super a lot. It, it was actually number two for me. Uh, just the drawback for me is that Liv Tyler is a really interesting actor. She's not often given enough to do. And this is one of those cases. This is, she had, you know, it's it was almost, you know, less than a two-dimensional role. She's, she's thrown around for yeah. the, the convenience of the plot. I'm That's, sad. I'm pathetic. Yeah. I need to be rescued. That's basically her arc. But it is... For somebody who, whatever you can say about my sense of humor and what I find entertaining, there's bits that I I was like, you laughed and freaked a lot. I laughed and I laughed and laughed and I had so much fun. It, Super was very entertaining. Um, and Ellen Page was just killer in this in more ways than one. I, 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 I wish I could, she was doing more movies now. She isn't doing, she's kind of scaled back a little bit, but it was like a much more R-rated, darker follow-up to Juno. and uh, The energy I, in that performance oh, was unlike anything I've seen her do, and I loved it. And she took a risk with it. I mean, it wasn't... You, you can't get... I'm not, I'm not sure... It's a big we often thing. talk about Natalie Portman, yeah. um, which is more me talking about Natalie Portman and infusing it into your show, but uh, I, I'm not sure Natalie Portman at that equivalent stage would have taken that role or done what Ellen Page does. She makes herself look ridiculous in many scenes... And it, it is is so worthwhile. So I, I'd recommend it to uh, to people, and one that maybe not everybody would be as excited about. But to me, Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man was number one. It, it, number one for me. I I think it was consistent in the genre. Uh, I you you do have to like stretch your imagination, and uh, I think it's a terrific action movie. Great cast, and I actually like Don Johnson, and I like. Mickey Rourke and I like when they were, you know, getting more work than they get now. And uh, it's an effective buddy movie. I I think things were changing in cinema in uh, the summer of 1991, and maybe that's why this movie didn't get that much attention. But it fulfilled all of my expectations, and in some strange way, it's the least misogynistic of the six movies that we uh, and considering we it came out of 1991, no one would have seen that coming. Yeah, yeah, I no. Yeah. And when, with a movie with that title, I mean, you'd think it'd be the opposite. So, we have different lists. I I knew. I, <laughs> we, we, we will of, never get there. I don't this think. is this is what, especially with a list like this, when the movies are that bonkers, it really <laughs> comes down to the litmus to your, your 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 personal taste. 
So yeah, I mean, I like freaked more than more than yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I knew. Completely. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Wicker Man's the worst. Yes. I mean, not just of the list. I mean, it's just the worst. It is. It's the worst. It's, it's got to be one of the worst movies of all time. I've said in the history the past of cinema that it's 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 wasteful to use an emotion as powerful as hate on a movie. But <laughs> I kind of hate that movie. Like, really well, I use it. I hate, 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 hate this movie. I think it was like five extra hates that than Roger Ebert used for his book so not a fan no <laughs> no, a fan. no and I can't be part of this revisionist history that it's so bad it's good or that no. it's just hilarious there's a couple of moments that are hilarious but it's a long slog oh to get to those moments is just not worth no. it um uh, Chillerama is in fifth place so we agree on those two we, yeah. so far so good yeah I mean again it's just too much it's too much part of it is the anthology format you're mm-hmm. getting different ingredients cut into the stew just by nature of the amount of cooks that you have like who knows what put what in it's like everybody spits in a jar and then someone has to drink it <laughs> uh it, it lacks the uniformity so again i think it would have been interesting yeah to, just to be harder make harder cuts you could maybe even have the full films as special features on on the dvd different thing, and yeah. just give us the highlight reel for the movie because it's too much for what it is. If you're going to be this offensive, this abrasive, and this sort of in-your-face, mm-hmm. you should be efficient with it. And like I've said this before about other anthology movies, uh, the first VHS film, for instance, mm-hmm. I think if it wasn't two hours, if they managed to get it down to 90 minutes, it would have been helpful for, for the audience. Be- between the shaky cam and the shrillness of everything, mm-hmm. after two hours, people are just like, when, mm-hmm. when, when? And that's kind of how I felt with Chillerama. I was done with it long before the movie was done with me. I think even just three. Like, have three three of these in cut-down films, if they're going to keep the format that they kept. Yeah. But, uh, again, your suggestions are so good to have that. <laughs> you know, we're, we, we're stuck in this car with people we probably don't like mm-hmm. commenting on, on some B-movie. I mean, that would be, yeah. that'd be a lot of fun. They just sort of... We're over reliant on the sort of anthology format. Mm-hmm. So, what are you gonna do? Uh, all the way in fourth position, and it kind of hurts for me to put a John Hughes movie as low as that. Mm-hmm. But that's where Weird Science ended up. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that there is a lot of heart and a lot of charm to the movie, and it could have been way grosser. Like oh, imagine, yeah. imagine like a, if they put like an American Pie kind of attitude onto this story and made it like hard R, like sick. Mm-hmm. gross perversion and like they could have absolutely gone there and yeah. gone for the cheap sort of perverted thrills and they didn't do that and uh, the other thing that I don't think we mentioned before and it kind of like made me a little bit verklempt was seeing such a young Bill Paxton oh yeah just, we didn't mention Paxton just no. killing it as this bully asshole older brother who gets turned into a talking pile of shit memorably yeah. for a good portion of the movie but I, I, it's funny because he's so young and, mm-hmm. and, you know, still rock solid supporting work. You, know? you, you like Paxton. It. Well, I, like, I like to remember him in many other things. No, the, the, his, he's really over the top in it and he's got that terrible yeah. snort, chortle cackle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But he's memorable. Chet's memorable. He's a memorable ingredient of the movie. Yeah. And, and I just miss the man. I miss him. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's fair. <laughs> I just wanted to mention him. Yeah. So, uh, 
I guess overperforming. <laughs> In third position, I put my guilty pleasure freak. I love how bonkers it is. I love that you get Mr. T and drag and Bobcat yeah. Goldthwait as a sock puppet. Yeah. And like these weird Rastafarian eyes and this strangely affected, uh, you know, creature effects. A central character who learns no lessons mm-hmm. is consistently a shit heel the whole movie and as the credits roll remains a shit heel mm-hmm. this is a movie that uh, contains the old classic joke uh, how many feminists does it take to roll, uh, screw in a light bulb two one to screw in a light bulb one to ride my Johnson why do I let it go? Because it's a comment on it. They're not making fun of feminists. They're making fun of the asshole dumb enough yeah. to tell that yeah. joke. So it's stupid, and all it wants to do is put a smile on your face. And for that, it's really hard to hate. <laughs> yeah. I wish I smiled more. High art, it is not. No. I think you're. it's one of these movies that you're greatly benefited by seeing it in the time it came out. I actually was thinking about that in relation to our 90s conversation. Yes. I wonder how you would have felt about Mimic, for instance, if you'd watched it in 96 mm-hmm. instead of in 2018. Yeah. Or, or Nightbreed, if you saw it in 1990 yeah. instead of when you did, if maybe it would hit you differently. So Yeah, anyway. perhaps. It's not for everyone. This is the most personal on the list. I couldn't put it higher than three, but it did mm-hmm. manage to go higher than the John Hughes movie, which is maybe suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but for me, in second place, is where Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man yeah. hits it. It overperforms in that I guess a case could be made that it's way better than it has any business being, mm-hmm. considering this cast and well, I mean, like I said, the supporting players are kind of interesting, but um, I don't know how they expected this one to tear up the box office even at the time, and uh, you know, it's little remembered, and it's mm-hmm. got a lot of charm, and uh, a lot of good stuff in it. They don't make them like this necessarily anymore, no. so. I don't know. It's an interesting oddity, and I think it's, again, another one of these titles that a lot of people miss. So if, if, if anybody finds this movie because of this podcast, that'd be good. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Number one, comfortably, easily, I think, with a wide lead, is super. Okay. I can't compare it to anything. Yeah. It's not even really a superhero movie. I think it's more about mental illness than it is about vigilantism or anything <laughs> like that. And I really like the conversation that the movie's having with you. And it's a conversation. They don't give you any answers. Like, is this guy got a calling? Or is this guy just a lunatic? Or is this guy just a lunatic who managed to luck his way into doing something right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but James Gunn is an interesting dude. Mm-hmm. And, like, his name being attached to a project, despite him being, you know, ousted by Disney for having a pretty perverse Mm, sense of humor mm -hmm. uh i remain a fan of james gunn and uh i think that if i was asked which one am i going to watch more which did i you know have more most fun with i still think you know i probably watch slither and guardians of the galaxy more often than i'll watch super yeah but but super is that really lovable problem child in his canon (laughs) like it's so fucking strange so violent so dark and so funny uh, I, I think as many people will hate it as love it, but if you're in the love it crowd, it will be so like it'll yeah. it'll, it'll be one of those movies that you'll be you know trying to think who can I show this to? There's some sick fuck in my circle of friends who's really <laughs> gonna get off on super. 
and uh, I guess in my circle of friends, I'm that too, yeah, yeah. because I'm giving it number one. Yeah, no, it's a great choice. <laughs> to me, it was close yeah. between the two, and I just I, I had a few less problems. And there was a little bit of a stylistic problem with the direction early on. They were doing a lot of that um, grainy colorization and, and shaky camera stuff uh, early on, and that kind of settled itself down yeah. uh, a bit. So, so that was bothering me at the beginning of the movie, but once it got in, I was just like, yeah, I'm really enjoying this, and I. Um, and you know me, I'm I'm a real sucker for originality. Yeah. Like the component parts. If you heard the description, Rain Wilson is a sad sack who puts on a costume and decides to fight crime. In your head, you start drawing a picture of this movie, mm-hmm. and you're not drawing. But it's not, you're not drawing that, the right picture. No. This is a completely different thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a completely true. different thing. Number one. Thank you, brother. Thanks. another episode another rank uh, another battle fought and won or lost or both I really appreciate everybody who was listening to that and I hope maybe I introduced you into some new lunacy it doesn't always have to be the same lunacy sometimes we can find new lunacy Um, but if you'd like to send your feedback as how you would rank these movies or whether or not you think they are WTF worthy, please do so by writing me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Also, if you like Rank and Review, it means A, that you're a person of very fine tastes, and that B, there's a very good chance you'll like the Terror Table podcast. So... If you're sad that this episode is over and there's no more rank and review to be listening to just this second, maybe you want to give the terror table a try. That's it, that's all. I will talk to you in two weeks. R&R continues to drop every other Wednesday. Thank you for listening, and please tell a friend.